Welcome to and almost starring the show where each week we take a film and break down the casting, including who almost starred. I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And six thousand dollars, it's not even leather, but it is working girl. For better or for worse, out there is a universe where it may seem bizarre, but they were almost starring. Amy Jo, how you doing today? I'm ready to let the river run and talk about this <laughs> let film. the river run. run. I could see if they had made Lord of the Rings in 88 instead, I could so see that being like a song. Or like Return of the King. That's like the song. <laughs> Frodo's back home. Everyone's surrounding the bed. And let the river run. I, as they carry the elves off into the west? Yeah, is that... sure, sure. Oh, there's, well, so, there's something just very epic and grandiose in a wonderful way about let the river run. But instead we got Annie Lennox's Oscar award winning song. Oh, well, song. of course. Of course uh, so I'm not mad about that. Oh, why would you be? Um, but that's, that. It, it, is, it is just a song that I, I feel like would be, like the sun is starting to rise and, you know. It's like a contemporary The Hills Are Alive with yeah, the sound of music yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, sure, sure. Of course, that is the uh, Academy Award winning song penned by Carly Simon, the theme to uh, Working Girl, our movie today. Uh, and Working Girl is a, a comedy drama romance that came out on December 21st, 1988 and was directed by Mike Nichols and written by Kevin Wade. Amy Cho, what is your experience with Working Girl? I saw it for the first time like three years ago, something like that. And uh, I, it's so funny because I had I had not seen this when I was younger and I had not seen 9 to 5. And when I watched 9 to 5, mm, I was mm-hmm. really like <laughs> taken aback by how goofy and kooky it was. Like the Cinderella dream sequence Full, thing. Oh, Snow White. Full Snow animated White. Snow White because you've got all the little bunnies yes. and woodland creatures running around Lily Tomlin. Rat poison. You know, I just... <laughs> What I was expect when I saw Working Girl, I was like, "This is what I thought Nine to Five was going to a be." A little more, a little more dramedy. Yeah. Whereas Nine to Five is full blown comedy, yes, a, with a, a capital more C. realistic kind gotcha, of take gotcha, on gotcha. something. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I enjoyed Nine to Five, but I think because I was expecting something more like this, I when I saw Working Girl, I was like, "Oh." I like this. I dig this. Yeah, there are no scenes in this of Harrison Ford uh, done up in that uh, like bondage exercise oh, contraption, see, being like worked around the so ceiling. Uh, although, based on the response from all the the women in his office, uh, I'm assuming they we we could have used Harrison Ford uh, trust up and. <laughs> <laughs> they would have broken out. That would have been a another light ovation. applause. Oh, that would have standing right. exactly. So. A little light applause for him uh, stripping his shirt off and throwing some water under his pits. But uh, for him, him in full bondage gear, uh, I, I think that would that would warrant a standing O. I think standing so. O from the back of the crowd. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I, I've not seen this film before. This is my first time seeing it, and uh, I'd heard a little bit about it from you when you first watched it, but um. Yeah, I just it was a blind spot for me. I never seen it. I'm so glad I did. Uh, I mean, of course, you know we both love Sigourney Weaver, and now this, you know, because I've seen Aliens, still haven't seen Grills in the Mist, and this was the third of her as of yet Academy Award nominated performances, mm. uh, rightfully so. Uh, and she is what we'll talk about. Oh yeah, we'll talk about it. And Melanie Griffith, like I, I was like, oh yeah, I've really seen so little of Melanie Griffith's work, mm-hmm. uh, and this clearly is one of the bright spots of her career and and rightfully so also so good so good also first appearance on the pod of our girl joan cusack also the first appearance on the pod of 
uh, we stand, we stand for Tiny Yes, oh, we've talked about her. She's been up for roles in other films yes. like Jurassic Park. And this whatnot. is Siggy's first appearance as well, and yes. also Siggy's first appearance. Also, someone also also up for Jurassic Park. Yes, because <laughs> they're both the same person. Junkie is second. Confuse them constantly. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so, spoilers ahead. If you haven't seen Working Girl or haven't seen it in a while, here's a brief-ish synopsis. Tess McGill, a working-class girl from Staten Island with a bachelor's degree in business from evening classes, struggles... So, as a... evening classes is the name of the university, eh? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, oh, I, I, I uh, studied at ECU, Evening Class University. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. uh, struggles as a secretary to a slimy stockbroker, a little baby-faced... Oliver Platt, uh, after she's tricked by her boss into a date with his lascivious cocaine-snorting colleague, she, he who shall not be named. <laughs> Feel Just free to look up the cast if you're like, who? Guess what? As to um, who we would not be naming who would be playing a cocaine-snorting <laughs> jerk in the late 80s. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, she quits and finds a new job as secretary to Catherine Parker, an associate in the mergers and acquisition department at the firm Petty Marsh. Seemingly supportive, Catherine encourages Tess to share ideas, so Tess suggests that a client, Trask Industries, should invest in radio to gain a foothold in media. Catherine says she'll pass it along through some people, but later says the idea was not well received. But when Catherine breaks her legs skiing in Europe and asks... Not in Europe, she's in Vermont. Wikipedia said Europe. Is Wikipedia she in Vermont? is wrong. <laughs> Maybe she goes up to like Vermont or something. Yeah. I'm almost positive. I believe you. That sounds right. Otherwise, I feel like... supposed to, like, go up. It's a chalet owned by some Germans. Oh, okay. Let me look it up. There you go. There you go. Because there is the wonderful sequence, as you look that up, the wonderful sequence of her speaking... When she's like, you know, did they get me, like, with a whatever suite? And Tess is like, oh, they they didn't only have this available. And she's like, but did you use my name? Like, and she calls him and just speaks in, like, fluent German. Doesn't she start that German monologue, though? speaking English but in a German accent which is also I, I feel like she's like oh hello there well, and then breaks goes into German well hello is it oh okay, oh, okay. You okay. Would say that I, I thought she said like a few more words which made it sound like is she pretending to be German which is also mm. equally funny to me um I'm sure you're right that it's just a German owned I'm almost positive it's just um, in Vermont or somewhere. But, well, I mean, somebody, maybe I'm somebody, wrong. Somebody fix that wiki. But I think that was the thing is like she, that was why they like helicopter in. That she makes was a lot of sense. Not on a transcontinental right, flight. Right, right. You, you mean they didn't fly a helicopter across the Atlantic Ocean? I mean, I'm sure it's been done, <laughs> but I wouldn't want to be in it. Um, No, nor would I. Nor would I. So while Catherine breaks her leg skiing in... Vermont? Question mark. She asks Tess to house it, but while at Catherine's place, Tess discovers some meeting notes where Catherine plans to pass off the radio acquisition idea as her own to executive Jack Trainer. Tess returns home to find her boyfriend Mick in bed with another woman, so a real double punch in the gut. Uh, disillusioned, Tess decides to use her boss's absence and connections to move forward on the merger deal herself. I, I would like to rewind ever so slightly to what you're, I thought you're, was you're, Yes, uh, disillusioned woman, another with bed okay, and Mick hilarious. boyfriend, her fine to home. <laughs> I'm glaring. Um, <laughs> my eyes, they're rolling. Um, uh, I'd like to discuss the perfect line delivery of you snake. I guess she walks in on uh, Alec Baldwin as with, Mick Dugan. With Doreen. Doreen. Mick Dugan. Oh, man. Um, Very, I, I feel like we don't do this anymore in terms of like, you know, for, because it's a dramedy. I mean, it's a, the film's a comedy, but it's a dramedy. But like this level of like nudity and I was sexuality. Thinking, like, gosh, filming kind of this scene. You know, I mean, it wasn't like there's a lot of choreography. They're just, I was just like, she is a top. Alec yes. Baldwin. They both look fully nude. They look like there is nothing between them. Nothing but what? 
God give him. Um, but um, yeah, you just, I just don't see like of a film like this made today. It's like this is it's like the Devil Wears Prada being like, and now here's uh here's some you know some boobs and butts. Yeah. and you're like, oh what? Yeah, I mean they're more tasteful with her. Yeah, and I mean you know later. who who cares? Yeah, whatever. Well, but it, it, it but it was surprising. It, well, I think it's meant to be a shocking moment. Oh, sure, you sure, know? sure. But yeah, he's like no class. No class. I, I can explain. It's not what it looks like. Well, it is what it looks like, but oh, I can man. explain. I just, you snake. Like, what could his explanation possibly be? Well, she I tripped and so... fell. I, I tripped and fell into her. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Disillusioned, Tess decides to use her boss's absence and connections to move forward on the merger deal herself and uses Catherine's name to set up a meeting with Jack Trainer. She decides to attend a party the night before their meeting in order to meet Jack beforehand, wearing one of Catherine's expensive designer dresses, which um, I love because she's just wearing like all the Sigourney's outfits throughout the Convenient. film. Convenient. She's the same size as her Well, boss. she she so is not. I mean, Sigourney Weaver is so much taller than so Melanie Griffith. But specifically, it's that dress because the costume designer said like that's the one they cheated on because she like they had Sigourney tried on and it was like comically short on her. And their reasoning was, you know what? This is probably a dress Catherine had in her closet for years and hasn't touched. Well, it also still had the tag on it. Oh, so clearly, good the character eye. never wore it. It could yeah. even be the kind of thing like that she just like got given to her by Ooh, someone. a gift by some like and, sleazy guy like well, i yeah i mean it's not even that sleazy of a dress it's just like so short on her just someone who like isn't good at eyeing sizes no so she just never wore it right you know? I, I meant sleazy in the sense of like uh, the the when we see like the guy hitting on her and, she, and of how she expertly like oh, yeah. gets rid of him of be, i could so see like those kinds of guys being like i sized you up and bought you a dress well, and it's three feet too short <laughs> what did melanie griffith get what did tess get for Lingerie. her birthday from yeah Alex what was it Baldwin she was like I can, i'd love some earrings or One like time, sweaters really something nice i could give me a sweater something i could earrings. wear out of the out of the house out of the really out of the bedroom uh but after realizing that this dress is six six thousand dollars it's not even leather it's not even leather. oh joan cusack such a great such an amazing line reading um, and then tess has a panic attack and so cynthia tries to help her calm down by giving her a valium from Catherine's bathroom what is she i'm gonna see if she has anything soothing yeah <laughs> uh at the party tess unknowingly meets jack who does not give her his name uh which is all right i mean this whole first like the first 10 minutes after meeting harrison ford was so creepy to me everything he does i and i wish that this was i wish the first fix would be if he didn't he didn't know her name either because he immediately knows she's looking for him and instead he lies mm-hmm. and says oh, you just missed Jack. And he's like, oh, what's your name? And he's like, let's not use names, even though he knows who she is. Mm-hmm. Opposed to seeing her and being like, no, no, you know what? Let's not ruin it. Let's not learn each other's name. Let's just do it. And neither of them know, yeah. which I think would be more interesting and not have so much gross. power in his But part. I mean, like, it's clearly because he's like, oh, this is a woman I have a meeting with tomorrow, but I'm really attracted to her. And let me try and get whatever mileage I can get. Well, the like, reasoning I is like, I don't, he doesn't want to discuss business because then it's just gonna be business. And he's immediately smitten by exactly. her. Exactly. I but, get it. But it know. is just like, oh, it's gross. Because then right after they have a couple of drinks, they've got some, they're shooting back tequila and the combined effect of the Valium and the alcohol causes Tess to, like, instantly black out. She is, like, passed out in the taxi. And there's just, I don't know, there's just so many little easy fixes to make this not look like a horror film. Because it's just Harrison Ford, <laughs> who's also, like, such a, like, you know, I'm Harrison Ford. Now get out of my building. But he's not playing that. He's not, but he's still... Harrison Ford smiling is a terrifying sight to me. Some people just don't look like they, they oh should gosh. not be smiling. It's funny because you and I have discussed <laughs> his casting a little bit. Willem Dafoe smiling, terrifying. Yes. Max von Sydow smiling, terrifying. Yes. Harrison Ford smiling, terrifying. Okay, this is fascinating. So, 
Uh, he, I think, appears quite affable. Um, but maybe it's also that, like, I haven't seen every Harrison Ford film. I mainly grew up watching him in Star Wars, in which he's just kind of a dude. You're right. Okay. He is, that is probably the, the lightest that I've seen him aside from this film. Just thinking of, like, even him as Indiana Jones, even when he's got a quip or a, even when he's fallen in love, he's a quip still. And a whip. A quip. He's got that quip and he's got that whip. Hey, on the, in this holster, I got my whip. On this holster, I got my quips. No <laughs> ticket. <laughs> That's a whip cracking. I'm excellent at sound oh, yeah. effects. Uh, yeah, I mean, I get it. He's fine in this, but it's always, especially this beginning poor part. No, totally. It, here's here is my thought on this: is that I think to the audience at the time, of course, and to a lot of the intended audience, which would have been women, they're gonna find him very charming and yeah. a, and less dangerous than you seem to see him as, which yes. is why he can get away with. To a certain extent, I still don't think it works, but I think that's why I'm not reading it as like horrifying. As the situation is horrifying, but I don't right. read him as predatory in the right. way that you are reading him. No, it's terrifying. Of course, of course. well, because for the for those who've not seen the film, because the situation, she's like the cab door's open and her like you know stockinged leg is hanging out in, in what seems like a bit of like a come hither gesture. So he shows up, he comes in, he's like, oh hello, and she's completely passed out, and he's like, where do you live? And she can't even say speak she's she's babbling so he's like all right i guess we're going to my place i, I don't know i needed just a bit more of the, the the seeing on him the like oh like immediately being like oh, okay that's mm -hmm. the end of anything of that sort this night yes. now i'm just i just have to take care of you he it does not read that way no it does not that that is true um i don't think that that is the actor's fault i think that's the writers and I th i'm gonna say it's a combo it's sure i, I think yes but some a little a line has, or two. He has that line like, "Do you want a nightcap?" And I was like, "Yeah, like a literal hat to sleep in." Exactly. That's when well when he gets her back, she he carries her up the stairs to his apartment, which is admittedly very funny that he's yes. just going all up the stairs, being like, oh, "I never really noticed how many flights these were until now." Uh, and then like seats her in a chair. She can't even sit up straight. She's flopped over, and he's like, "It's fine for this comedy." If he's like, uh, "Would you like some coffee?" Some herbal tea. I don't have herbal tea. Whatever. Keep that line. Ovaltine. But mm -hmm. like, don't suggest a nightcap. She's clearly had too much like, to drink. And she told him already that she had uh, an antihistamine. An antihistamine, exactly. But like, to, to be like trying to like help rouse her and wake her up is one thing. To be yeah. like more booze is, even if at the time it's like whatever. I know. It's still a little creepy. I know. But again, that I is a line a writer it. wrote. I get it. Anyway, Tess wakes up the next morning in Jack's bed and quickly leaves before he wakes. Later. When she arrives at the meeting, she realizes Jack Trainer is the man she spent the night with. Oh, that's such a... She's already like, yeah. this is her first real meeting yeah. she's ever had. She walks in and sees this guy there. It's like, oh, soul crushing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she assumes her pitch was a disaster, but Jack later arrives at her office and tells her nothing happened the night before. He simply took care of her after she passed out. And that also is like what I mean, his place is so big, regardless of whether or not he has another bed. He clearly has at least he's that guy's got it. that kind of guy has a pullout couch. Let he could have slept in the chair, you know, well, no, let her sleep in a bed or on a pullout couch and then yeah. take the other because she wakes up in the morning and looks over and he's like. At the very least, shirtless. I'm gonna assume full blown naked, laying next to her as she gets out of bed quietly, and he just like rolls over and then snuggles her pillow. And it's like we discussed this earlier. I think the scene should have played out that she wakes up in bed alone. So assuming the worst, mm -hmm. but and you're like, and she's in the shower. So you're still as an audience being like, oh, did they sleep together? But it's not. 
then when he's like, of course nothing happened, it's like, okay, well, why did you then undress and get next to me in bed when I was completely passed out? Because we haven't seen his whole apartment, but we've seen like, like he comes up the stairs and I was like, wow, look at all that space. And it's on Morton street. Like, like you don't see the whole thing, but it's like, clearly he's got multiple rooms, you know? I, I think there's a way to kind of thread the needle so you can like in the moment still think something might have happened and maybe even think like, oh, God, did this guy take advantage of her? Yeah. And then be like, oh, in retrospect, of course not. I think you, my thought was he didn't because she's still wearing her somewhat complicated underwear, you know, that like she <laughs> would have enough. been too drunk to put back on. Sure. I think, you know. Yes. Thankfully, she's at least still wearing her underwear. Yes. Well, and also, thankfully, she didn't sleep in that $6,000 dress with the little stones. You don't want to it crush the velvet. It still had the, the tag on. Siggy wouldn't have even noticed. It, she did not wear it with that tag. She removed the tag. That's non-returnable now. Yeah. Well, especially because she removed the tag. Now, of course, Sigourney's going to realize if she talks it. I was just like, how are we? But I can't we... imagine she's the person that would. She, she, she would look at it me and like, I don't remember where no, this exactly. came from. Into the garbage. Garbage. Not not goodwill. Not donating. I'm throwing it out on purpose. Because that's the kind of person I am. <laughs> uh, anyway, he tells he's he's very like, of course nothing happened. I took care of you. But then he tells her that her merger idea has potential. And they spring into action. Jack secures a radio acquisition for Trask Industries and insists on attending when Tess tells him she has a meeting with Trask. But Jack realizes too late that Tess does not have a meeting, but instead plans to crash Trask's daughter's wedding in order to make the pitch. Flawless plan. Flawless plan. Which actually works. A meeting is, she She just goes up to him and is well, like, She's also oh. well-researched. She's, she's like, well researched. Philip Bosco, I have all the information. <laughs> and she's got that confidence. She's very uh, she's got Maria just... in Sound of Music. She's got confidence. Now, Maria was trying to convince herself she had confidence, you see. And I guess that's also the story of Tess. <laughs> well, as, as, as uh, you know, Catherine, as Sigurd Weaver says, like, who makes it happen? It's like, I make I, it happen. I make it happen. I do. Uh, and she sure does. All this film, which I love. I love how active of a protagonist oh, she yeah. is. She's great. Things aren't just happening. So there's a way this film could be like, you know, she intercepts the call from Harrison Ford and realizes mm-hmm. like, oh, he, he does have. He is going to, she, she stole my idea, opposed to like discovering it and being like, okay, I'm going to put this deal together. I'm going to take care of mine. I'm going to get got mine. two to three weeks while yeah. she's stuck upstate. Exactly. So they crash the wedding. The plan works. A meeting is scheduled and Tess and Jack spend the next few days preparing the merger proposal. The proposal is a success and Tess and Jack finally give in to their attraction and end up in bed. Tess wants to tell Jack the truth that she's just. Catherine's secretary, but keeps quiet after learning Jack was romantically involved with Catherine, though he dun, swears, dun, dun. Dun. though he swears the relationship is over. He just hasn't had a chance. He doesn't want to break up with her over the phone. So he was going to go to Vermont to <laughs> break up with her in a romantic ski chalet. I know. I mean, that's also like knowing that I'm like, there are so many ways that Harrison Ford's character could have handled this better. Yes. Well, I he know is, uh, he typifies a type. Yeah, this is true. You're not wrong. Surprise! Catherine comes home on the day of the merger meeting, about a week earlier than she was supposed to, which I love because she gets off the helicopter and she's got that giant, big, stuffed gorilla. gorilla because she filmed this months after filming Gorillas in the Mist because she was nominated oh. for this and Gorillas in the Mist in the same, same year, year for supporting and for lead, respectfully. Um, but I think that's so funny as a reference of, of her then being like so having this great. big old gorilla. And then immediately throwing it at oh, her Oh, just secretary. chucking it at Melanie Griffith's face. Um, I mean, clearly clear, that's the more sensible if you're going to reference Sigourney's career opposed to, you know, having a big old 
stuffed xenomorph here. Yeah, Can you hold this for probably me? Probably a little more on the nose, <laughs> a little less uh, classic. Maybe. Oh, oh, hold on. Would you mind holding this uh, stuffed Slimer? <laughs> oh, hold on. Could you? Uh, I got the luggage in the in the helicopter. Could you? Uh, hold on. Here's my stuffed uh, Rick Moranis. Could you? Could you take that, Melanie Griffith? Oh, yeah. I just saw, I've watched it. Rick Moranis just popped up in a commercial with Ryan Reynolds. Oh. Right. His whole I think his whole thing is like, why am I here? But it's like his return after like <laughs> over two decades. It's oh, the first like anything he's wonderful. done, which I think is so sweet. I love that Rick Moranis. Also, that because Melanie Griffith is now like has been living in Catherine's apartment, mm-hmm. um, and it is that scene where she's like vacuuming in like just her underwear Mm -hmm. uh was her idea because originally she's supposed to be like in like a bra and underwear but griffith said but that scene where i vacuum that my top on that was my idea i remember when i went to mike and i asked what about if i vacuum wearing just high heels in my panties like would that be okay his face was like of course it would be okay (laughs) would you do that Originally, it was a full bronze slip and panties, and that's not how it would be if you're in a rush. That's how I lived. I wouldn't get dressed to vacuum. Uh, <laughs> that's how I lived. That's not how it would be if you're in a rush. I, which I was like, you're not wrong. Well, because it's, it's probably if she's also done a wash, like it's maybe her bra is drying somewhere. Who's to say? Right, of how what clothes she still has that right. she's been wearing all of Catherine's clothes. Uh, but I, I love that. I love that she's, you know. I like knowing that she did that because I was just like, yeah. oh, are they just making her do that? I, it, it's like the camera's way down the hall, so it's not like whatever, a lascivious close-up yeah. shot of her vacuuming I mean, topless. But it's cheesecake, you know? It sure, it, I mean, she has quite a few shots in this film that are very cheesecake. Yeah. But, you know, as she says, she's got a mind for business and a bod for, for sin. sin. Tess overhears Catherine asking Jack to confirm his love for her, but he avoids answering. Tess rushes off, accidentally leaving her appointment book with Catherine, who promptly discovers Tess's betrayal, rushes to the meeting, outs Tess as her secretary, and accuses her of having stolen the idea, which, I mean, use way to use your props with her on those crutches of just oh, full, full like Greek, Greek tragedy acting of pointing this full crutch like her. Someone having She's to move my out secretary. of the way. Oh, exactly. That's I so loved funny. it. I loved it. I wish that she was just whacking people with those crutches left and right for the rest of the film. Get out of my way. Whoopsh, whoopsh. Tess begins to protest, but feeling that nobody would believe her, leaves. A few days later, Tess clears out her desk and bumps into Jack, Catherine, and Trask at the lobby elevators. Catherine attempts to appear like the bigger person, telling Tess they should bury the hatchet, but Tess replies, You know where you can bury your hatchet. Now get your bony ass out of my sight. In her, like, casual jeans and, like, sweatshirt still looking great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, once she once she fixed that hair, because oh. it's really clothing wise, oh. you could really put her in most anything. Even the clothes she's wearing in the beginning, as bad as like tacky and like ridiculous as they are, the very once you fix Staten the hair, Island, it does uh, a lot for you. Staten Island chic. Uh, the hair is like once you fix that, then you're like, oh wow, look at this incredible, beautiful, beautiful person. She looks younger and yeah. like oh, well, just and a lot especially better. when she had that hair all swoopy back, it was like you were like. She's her mother. She, I, she just looks I like Tippy like, Hedren. Ah, because yeah. it looks very like oh, yeah. Marnie. Very, oh, She's also sure. wearing like a kind of uh, sea glass green mm. suit that's like very 80s, but with a more classic silhouette, which I mean, it might truly have been a Marnie reference because it mm. looks very much like what Tippy Hedren wore in that film. Yeah. 
Catherine tries to lead the group away, but Jack says he believes Tess, and when Tess mentions a possible hole in the merger, Trask hops out of the elevator and allows Tess to explain while the two of them and Jack catch a second elevator up. Tess explains where she got the inspiration for the merger, and when they get to their floor and Catherine is unable to explain the idea's origin, Trask assures her he will have her fired for her fraud and offers Tess an entry-level job with Trask Industries. When Tess arrives for her first day, she sees a woman, Alice, in the office with her feet up, assumes this is her new boss, and starts to settle in at the receptionist's desk outside. There's confusion between the two women until it finally dawns on Tess that Alice is in fact her assistant, and that she is the new junior executive. Tess insists they work together as colleagues, showing she will be very different from Catherine, and she calls Cynthia from her own office to tell her she's finally made it. Let the run! Yes, Frodo, let the river run. Okay, I, it's, if you say so. <laughs> the casting director of Working Girl was Juliette Taylor, an Emmy winner for her work on the HBO miniseries adaptation of Angels in America. Okay. Taylor started her career casting The Exorcist. Oh. Pretty good first film to be cast. You think? Yeah. And we'll go on to cast a couple little films like Taxi Driver, hmm. Network, Annie Hall, Big, The Birdcage, and Schindler's List. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's a bananas track record. Just a few, just a few heavy hitters right there. Uh, so the screenwriter, Kevin Wade, was struggling to get this movie made for years. because A bunch of studios turned him down. A lot of them said it sounded like a TV movie. It's like, this isn't a feature. People don't want to see this. And even his agent, he showed the screenplay to his agent at the time. And the agent said, you know, this is fantasy land. This is never going to get made. And he and the agent parted ways soon after. Yeah, you'd hope. That, this like makes my blood boil. Like, but, oh, it's a TV movie because that's what women go right, see. Right. But then got a new agent and got the screenplay sold. And the screenplay, then they got Mike Nichols, saw it and was involved, which mm -hmm. of course you're like, oh, this is a, now this, this is, is a real movie. This is a much different movie when you get opposed to like, whatever, first time director or whomever, but when you get Mike Nichols mm -hmm. to do your movie. So right before production... Sam Cohn, who was the agent for Wade, Sigourney Weaver, and Mike Nichols, hosted a lunch at the Russian Tea Room for all the main cast. And as they walked by, they happened to walk past Wade's former agent's table. Mm -hmm. He beckoned Wade over and asked, uh, is that the cast for that script you wrote? Wade said, yeah. And his former agent stood up, shook his head, and didn't have anything else to say after that. <laughs> so satisfying. Just looking at Harrison Ford and Sigourney, Sigourney Weaver, Weaver, especially, you're like, oh. I huh. see someone else saw something I, I done goofed. didn't see. I goofed. I done goofed, my guy. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's what you get. Now, let's move on to some of the actors who were almost cast. Some of these people may have auditioned. Some may have just been discussed by casting. This is all a little subjective. And as always, I have looked up all the actors in advance. And Amy Joe is hearing it for the very first time along with you, listener. That's right. So let's kick things off with Tess McGill. Amy, your thoughts on Melanie Griffith? And who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? I think she is excellent. And I must admit to uh, being... Uh, humbled by that because I kind of like just would see her on talk shows and thought she was kind of a joke. Mm. Um, and I feel badly about that because she's really good in this, even if maybe she had trouble finding good projects uh, subsequently due to a variety of yeah. life and professional reasons. Um, although I did see her in Now and Then, a film that came out at the perfect time for someone of my generation uh -huh. and that I would watch every time I stayed home sick from school. I've seen like 15 minutes of Now and Then. And it stressed me out too much because I saw it was the section where it was just like the flashback of them as kids uh -huh. all like having like the prank 
war back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember what that entailed. I just remember it was like the girls and the boys. And they each were like pranking each other more and more like heightened, more and more of like whatever. And I, for whatever, like back then, pranks of that nature really stressed me out. For where sure. I was just like, I don't. This I is either like... embarrassing for people, wh- whoever's getting pranked, for the girls and for the guys. Uh, and and it, it just stressed me out where I was like, it's going to go too far. If if it's any consolation, I barely remember that part of the film. <laughs> I remember the deep It stuck friendships. with me for decades. Well, that's all you saw. So that's <laughs> it, it had a disproportionate effect. Good point. Um, and I loved a Christina Ricci feature. Sure. Welcome Gabby Hoffman. Um, oh, yeah. It was yeah. a delight. Um, anyway, I thought she was fantastic. Um, yeah. Some of my thoughts, mm. I have people of a variety of um, generations, that oh, sort great. of thing. Um, as far as like people who were contemporary to her, Ellen Green, who of course would Ooh. be very well known for playing Audrey in the film version of Little Shop. Mm-hmm. They're, I think Ellen Green's a little bit older. Um, probably, because Little but, Shop's probably around the same yeah, time. it's like, like 87, 86. Yeah, maybe? I think so. So she's a little uh, bit older, yeah. but she also just, you know, plays that yeah. like working class and man, she can act, <sighs> you know. Um, and then this was a very different actor and kind of direction. Um, but I thought Maria Conchito Alonso, who is the Ooh, same age as Melanie Griffith. I love who that. Who I think is great. Yes. Um, and I mean, for a lot, you you then add like the race issue as well as yeah. the class issue yeah. into uh, this question at that time, yeah. and it becomes even more of an uphill battle for yeah. her to get where she gets. You know, and I was like, well, I mean, frankly, like, that, <laughs> no, I'd be it's, interested it's, in seeing it's very that. True. You know? if, you, if you don't know Maria Conchita Alonso, I mean, I mainly know her from like a lot of genre fare, like the Arnold's movie, The Running Man, and Predator Two, and the uh, incredible Nick Cage Vampire's film, Vampire's Kiss. Kiss. <laughs> Um, but she's, God, she's, thank God, though, this movie didn't star Maria Conchita Alonso and Nick Cage. Nick Cage's Jack uh, Trainer is probably the uh, worst no, thing I can imagine. Um, actually, well, maybe Arnold is worse. I, would you rather Arnold have Arnold as worse. Jack Trainer or Nick Cage as Jack Trainer? Nick Cage, because Mike Nichols can direct. And I feel like Nick Cage is someone can who can be reined in by the sure, right direction. Sure, sure, sure. So anyway, those those were my uh, contemporary ones. Then Love going, it. pushing if this film is made a few years later, I basically were like, who are all the people who are really good at playing dumb blondes who are also funny? Mm-hmm. So I have Mira Sorvino. Of course. Uh, Nina Arianda, mm-hmm. yeah. who has, I know she's on some TV show now. But... She was on that Goliath show with Billy Bob Thornton, but oh, okay. she was like a big theater actor. She yeah. won, won, a won a Tony for, for Venus and Fur, nominated for Born, Born Yesterday, Yesterday, which, which yeah. Monty Griffith did the remake film mm-hmm. of Born Yesterday. So, I mean, uh, basically like totally. anyone who I'd be like, who would I be interested in seeing in Born Yesterday? Um, and then for a very much more contemporary take. And this, this is also, I'm going to reveal one of my choices for another one because um, I thought it would be fun Mm -hmm. to have as Tess and Sin to have Sashir Zameda and Nicole Byer who are real life best friends um, and are hilarious. I I think that'd be really fun. But then that made me think like another person I would actually love to see play Tess is Daniel Brooks. From Orange is the yes, New Black. She absolutely. is so good and so charming. Oh, that's so and good. And I'm like, ooh, I'm really I mean, into that. Yeah, knowing her whole arc, just, I'm just like flashing through her entire arc on Orange is the New Black. Because by the end, she really became like the heart of that show. Mm-hmm. And just sort of like when she like manages to negotiate her way and like she's kind of like the the secretary to the warden but like using that position to like actually try to make change and it's like no 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 that's not that's not what you do it has that kind of like but like why mm-hmm. can't it be of like whatever that great line is that melanie griffith has in the film when uh philip bosco's trask is like asking her like like what, what is this yeah, and it's she's... like you know you you can't like 
bend the rules until you're at the top. But like you can't get, when, at, the you can't get at the top and without bending the rules. If you're someone like if you're me, someone yeah. like me, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I Daniel Brooks, great casting. Thank you. She, I saw her in um, Color Purple on Broadway, and just like the charm that radiates off her is outlandish. And oh yeah, I was like oh that would work beautifully for absolutely. this. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, some people I thought, I mean, of course. I thought Marissa Tomei, just thinking of how mm-hmm. close this is to she my might cousin be on Vinny. My list for oh, 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 man! Like, yeah, yeah. A I little, mean, she could do. I, I had, I thought of, of her for this, but I was like, uh, you oh, know. is Catherine? That that's also great. Oh, or no, a sin. Oh, a sin. sin. Oh, a sin. Of course, I see that. Yeah, she's absolutely. got the absolutely. range. She can do it all. She can do it all. Jack, Marissa Tomei is Jack Trainer. Now we're talking. Now we're now. talking. <laughs> just this big business lesbian romantic comedy. I, I'm it hasn't into, not occurred to me into you know? it. Um, <laughs> I was also not. quite... I think 88 is still, like, a little young, but, like, 10 years later, 98 movie, I think J-Lo or Halle Berry, I could, I think, would be great, Halle Berry, great picks. Because also, I mean, J-Lo is, is stunning, but, like, just thinking of Halle Berry and, like, man, this is really going to age mm-hmm. me very specifically, but her as Sharon Stone in the Flintstones movie. <laughs> the like, role that was supposed to go to Sharon Stone exactly, and turn it down. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, okay, you know what, with Halle Berry. But I remember seeing that movie and being like, this is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen on screen. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, that obviously, like, works really, really strongly. Oh, yeah. When, especially when her first boss that we see is this, like, dirtbag, sleazoid guy, yeah. you know? Yeah. 100% agree. And if this was made, like, today or whatever, sometime in the last, like, eight years, I think Margot Robbie would actually be really good. I mean, she's really made a... Made a career between Wolf of Wall Street and Harley Quinn of this, like, I guess more Queens accent than Staten Island, but still of this kind of, like, dumb blonde type who you're like, oh, no, she's not dumb. She is actually very, very smart. She's just from a particular socioeconomic background. Yeah, exactly. So... Melanie Griffith, because, uh, of course, she was, like, raised in the business. So she had been acting and had, like, small roles and stuff from, like, a very, very young age. But she really, like, her first, like, big thing uh, was the Brian of Palma film Body Double, which I accidentally saw because I was trying to rent Body Heat. And I forgot the name. And instead, I saw one of the stupidest films I've ever seen. Like, real on the list of, like, Brian of Palma films that are just Hitchcock ripoffs. Like body doubles near the top and of the of list. Of course, he would get Tippy Hedren's daughter to do of that. Of course, yeah. he would. Um, but she's good in that, and she she was nominated for a Golden Globe for that. That was eighty four, and then she had this movie with Jeff Daniels called Something Wild in eighty six, where she's kind of like manic pixie dream girl, and like he's an uptight yuppie, and she takes him on this crazy weekend, mm. and she got another Golden Globe nomination for that. But even with those two, she was still kind of an unknown. And uh, I think at this point, when they were trying to cast this, Something Wild hadn't been released yet, so it was even more so. They didn't... 20th Century Fox did not want her at all. They wanted a big-name actor. So... Griffith's agent and manager managed to convince Jonathan Demme, who directed Something Wild, to show Mike Nichols an early cut of the film, and that got her the audition. So (laughs) this is Melanie Griffith talking about her audition for this film. I splurged on this beautiful white linen suit. I thought I would look really cool and very businesslike, very Tess McGill. I got to New York and it was 80 degrees. I was so hot. Also, apparently she was extremely late for her audition. Uh, I walked into the room to meet Mike, but it wasn't just Mike. It was Doug Wick and every big wig that was involved in the movie. There were like 12 people in there. They asked me to pick three things to read. And I really had a hard time doing that. I said, I'll read anything. I'll go through the whole script. Let's just start at the beginning. I obviously didn't do that, but I did read for them and they said, thank you. And I left. And she was like, I guess, whatever. I, you know, shot my shot. Um, but Juliet Taylor, the casting director, said she was the girl. It was almost a visceral reaction. She was mm. adorable, funny, vulnerable, sexy, 
everything and real. Which I thought was great. That's fantastic. Yeah. Sometimes it just clicks. Yeah. Um, and it did. And, you know, Mike Nichols then, like, fought against 20th Century Fox. And that's also why you have Harrison Ford and Sigourney Weaver. Because yeah. they're like, if you're going to have a no-name as the lead, if you we're need... Harrison exactly. Ford. Exactly. Um, and... I mean, of course, Melanie Griffith, if you have not know, if you do not know, she has struggled with alcohol and substance abuse issues throughout her life. I mean, she was raised in Hollywood. She, you know, was introduced at a very young age. Exactly, exactly. So uh, working girl producer Douglas Wick remembered getting a call from Nichols that Melanie was clearly high on set. And Wick reportedly learned later that Griffith was having drugs delivered to her on the set. Uh, Yeah, so but it's amazing knowing that she was like drinking and abusing drugs for at least part of the shoot and of how good of a performance she it's still so gives of how like subtle a performance she gives is really remarkable yeah. but this is what griffith said she said mike got so mad at me he wouldn't talk to me mike Kelly, the first ad just came up and said we're shutting down go home and this, this is the scene where uh joan cusack her engagement party at the bar where she like runs into her ex she's alec baldwin again briefcase. she's got a new briefcase yeah put this behind the bar for me she said the next morning he took me to breakfast and said Here's what's going to happen. You're going to pay for a last night out of your pocket. We're not going to report you to the studio, but you have to pay for what it cost. And it was $80,000. Well, because how many extras are in there? It's clearly a location. Yeah. You know? Oh. I know. She said they wanted to get my attention, and they really did. It was a very humbling, embarrassing experience, but I learned a lot from it. Uh, Which, you know, I think that's also reflects well on Mike Nichols, that he, like, of how Mm -hmm. to handle it. To be like, you know what? This is still... I don't know how far they were into the shoot when that, if it was like, let's cut our losses and get another actor that we can count on or trust. But he was like, this is the girl. This is the yeah. woman. She is Tess. It's also what Melanie Griffith said. She's like, I need this role because this is my story. This 30 year old who's like, I can't, I can't break get through. any traction. I can't yeah. break through. I'm like, I'm coming from like, she's like, this is me. And I think ultimately it worked out for the best. I think that's a good way to handle it. It'd be like, you know what? I'm not going to report you. We're not going to make a big deal, but you're going to pay for it. And that's a wake up call. And I'm not going to share it because you can find it elsewhere. But I've heard some other stories about Mike Nichols handling like basically oh. actors in a way that you're like, well, that actually made the project better made that actor grow and like wasn't you you had compassion and humanity in it and not just like well screw you you know right um yeah yeah, that's all i'll say i just like you can you can go around and like uh, you know i'm sure find other stories about mike nichols like i mean yeah basically like giving actors that like holding them to a certain level by um taking things away from them or being like you're gonna have to pay eighty thousand dollars but holding them accountable in a particular way but still continuing to give them another chance that makes me think very well of him you know yeah definitely Definitely. All, everything in researching this film, because it's also our first Mike Nichols film, everything researching were these people just, like, praising. I mean, Harrison Ford was, like, <laughs> of what he wanted to film, because it's like, oh, and I get to work with Mike. Well, you know one thing, when Mike's directing, you can always count on a good lunch, which <laughs> <laughs> is a hilarious reasoning for doing a film. I do um, think it's also yeah. one of the reasons why, and we sort of talked about this when we were watching it, why you could have a, like, very female-driven film and it not feel 
gross, even though it was written by and directed by men. I was like, well, that's partially because Mike Nichols is working at a different level than most other people. Totally. I loved Griffith said that like first, the very first scene, which is her on the Staten Island Ferry coming over to let the river run. A, they shot that illegally. They The (gasps) the shot of her and Joan Cusack walking with all the group of people, those are just randos. So those are all, also you're like, they're just real. They also want it to be very real they didn't want it to be like that. i was like whatever. gosh like all these extras and just shoot this in the middle of the day i know it's because they just had melanie Griffith wow. and joe cusack take the staten island ferry and then like okay we're gonna film you getting off and uh then we'll run exactly we but, uh, are gonna run uh, that river run um but nichols t- his direction to griffith was like just just think about something else just think about whatever think about like what you're gonna eat later today think about because that's how what we do when we're when we're like when we're walking when we're going somewhere we're thinking about something else and she's like that is such a good direction <laughs> um, it's true though. yeah uh, actors like we want to do well we tend to overthink things yeah so that's actually especially so simple, i'm but assuming especially on camera yeah. when the camera can catch all that totally yeah sometimes we do tend to overthink things which gets <laughs> us into like acting much harder than we need to very true so let's get into it Right off the bat, up for Tess McGill, Laura Dern was considered. Oh my gosh. But producers turned it down because she was too young. Which, I mean, because Melanie Griffith was 30 at the time of filming, the yeah, age she's of the character. Exactly right. Yeah, and Laura Dern had like just done Blue Velvet the year before. I feel like she was probably like 19 or 20, so like much younger. It's, it's also, I mean, look, I think Laura Dern is a tremendous actress, and I'm sure she would have been wonderful in this. But one of the things I think Melanie Griffith brings to this is, is a certain lack of polish. You yeah. know, and I don't mean in the performance because the performance is very well calibrated, but Laura Dern just comes across just more knowledgeable, even if not confident. I, I don't really know. I'm not describing it very well. I mean, I get what you're saying, but it's also like I think she's a good enough actor that oh, I've she, not seen her. She been great. I've not know? seen a role where she like quote unquote played dumb, even though Tess is not a dumb character, but even playing like um someone less book smart that's that's what i mean which i'm not saying that i don't think necessarily that's something lord and cannot do but i've just not seen it because i could also see just being like oh you're young you're blonde you're like in things now let's let's try out but for this exactly but you're not dumb blonde yeah or you don't read well and not everyone yeah not everyone can convey that even if you know yeah i mean i do i do think if you go back and watch born yesterday and see what judy holiday does totally feels like a a magic trick because you know that she has chosen that yeah and because she changes it over the course of the film but it still feels like a real person and honestly that's so hard to do and it's one of the things i think griffin does so well is that understated yet like this like through line of intense like desire and and uh, ambition it just doesn't read like Sigourney Weaver's ambitious character, which is what we think of more yeah. when we think of an ambitious woman. Melanie know? Griffith, I just kept thinking the whole time watching it, was Speak Softly and Carrie Big Stick. It's like oh, how, you know, because yes. she's so breathy and so like soft spoken, but is still so strong and it's like such totally. so like adamant and so like focused it's it's such a good performance it's really uh, wonderful yeah so of course you know as as always i'm I'm never really wanting to compare performances more of like think, thinking as if the, like a stage play if they were to do a, if they had done another production of working girl yeah. what this might have been like but that's why laura Dern would never have sprung to mind for me of course same now this this person i think actually makes a lot of sense lorraine bracco auditioned oh a hundred percent although also would have been great for cindy 
I'm mean, not Cindy. I keep thinking Sin. Cynthia. 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 Yeah, I Sin. keep thinking it's Cindy because Cindy Lauper's nickname is Sin. <laughs> Cindy so Lauper is Tess. <laughs> or at least as Sin. No, she Cindy would be is Sin. Fantastic. I mean, she is she is from Queens, born, bred, died in the wool. Well, but like, you know what? We'll just say that now. I reported in 2017, Cindy Lauper said that she was working on a working girl musical. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> oh my gosh. Maybe she could be the dialect coach for that. Oh boy. Because <laughs> listen at home, uh, as we've said before, if you've not listened to other episodes, Amy Jo was a dialect coach for Kinky Boots on Broadway, so has worked with Sydney Lopper. I've worked with Sin. Um, <laughs> she's brilliant, and I'm terrified of her for all the right reasons. Um, I would see her in the room, I'd be like, cool, sit on the opposite side. Oh, boy. But she's, I feel like that's a good great pick for a working girl, totally. for a working girl musical. No, because she comes from, I mean, she's not from Staten Island, but she is from like yeah. working class Queens, and yeah. it's the right era. You know? Especially, yeah, especially if it's still set in the 80s. Perfect. Yeah. And she writes such fun pop tunes. Yeah. yeah. Let let the Cindy run. <laughs> let that Cindy run. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, but Lorraine Bracco said in her memoir that this is like one of the ones that she was like most heartbroken uh. about not getting. Because uh, I think she'd be great. And this she'd is like right, wonderful. this is like two years off from Goodfellas, which she is incredible yeah. in. Uh, and she has great comic timing. Yeah. She had been very funny. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee auditioned. Interesting. I, yeah. I can see it, but I don't I'm I don't find it as like immediately fascinating. Oh, yeah, same, same. I mean she's someone that like I feel like of this this era of like ni- early nineties Jennifer Jason Lee, I just think like Spitfire. I just think like tiny yes. tiny Spitfire. Yes. Uh I mean really today still is tiny like hateful eight is she's a tiny, tiny Spitfire. Spitfire. <laughs> um Mary Stuart Masterson nearly got the role. Fascinating. Yeah. I've only seen her. On stage. Oh, in what? Man of La Mancha, baby. Oh, wow. wow but wow. I didn't care because I was only there for Brian Stokes Mitchell, who, yes, did I give a mid show standing <laughs> ovation to? Duh. Uh, yeah, a short, for I assume for The Impossible Dream. Yeah, he didn't even <laughs> Did the other audience? And did the other audience? Like, did everyone else stand up oh, as well? Yeah, was, I mean, come on. I've never given a solo standing ovation. I mean, that imagine? would be very presumptuous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I. I, now that you've said that, would do it, but it would have to be for the right thing. Very Probably specific. be for a drag queen. Oh, of course. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I realized, I don't think I've ever seen Mary Stuart Masterson in anything, because I've not seen Benny and June. I've not seen Fried Green oh, Tomatoes. Oh, i Benny and June. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes, okay. That makes more sense now. All right, yeah. I mean, she's in many things. And I mean, you know, she's in good movies that are held in high regard, but I was just like, oh, another performer that I've just, had, it slipped away of the, I've just never seen anything they've done. Um, but I have seen, the, for this performer, Sarah Jessica Parker auditioned, which oh, I get. Oh, I get it. I think she's got too much. She's, she's so, she's got that strong Broadway energy, by which I mean very front-footed, <laughs> yeah. um, which would make up for a very different performance. I agree. Um, but she's great at playing dumb, smart people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Diane Lane auditioned, which oh. I thought was interesting. Also someone who I'm like, I'm not, I don't, I've never seen play play you know whatever what, no, however you want to quantify it I, I don't like to keep saying play dumb because the character is not, not dumb it's not that it's but there's a softness the street to it. savvy yeah. whatever however you want to describe it, it, it it's not it's not it's something not i i picture with diane what Lane. i leap to true, however true. i would be interested yeah. i would be interested <laughs> now instead of doing working girl Diane Lane, because this is 1988, as we discussed in our Beetlejuice episode, was instead doing Priceless Beauty, where she played a genie who helps rock star Christopher Lambert rediscover his passion. Wow, that feels like years ago. <laughs> so far that you telling me that feels like 
I've heard this information before. This well, hit me anew. Well, you also now should hit you anew because when we did Beetlejuice, well, you had not seen Christopher not Lambert in his... Mortal Kombat and did not know. Uh, it wasn't emblazoned on my mind. It's one thing to be like, oh, Diane Lane was playing a genie to a rock star and posted playing a genie to a, a Peter Laurie as Randfield rock star. Thank you, Diane Lane. Thank you, my genie. <laughs> I dreamed of you, Genie, and now I am a rock star. And I'm going to sing good and make the ladies feel things. I want to rock and roll all night, master. One, two, three, four. Um, so, Scott Rudin was running Fox at the time. Oh, Scott. He did not want Griffith. You know, he, he wanted Shelly Long. I thought you were going to say Shelly Duvall. <laughs> Shelly, he wanted that Shelly Winters. <laughs> <laughs> now, Shelley Winters would be a great mid-century choice. This movie is in 1950. Shelley went. Oh, yes. <laughs> 1950, I think, was A Place in the Sun. Um, am I wrong? No, I think I'm right. Let's say you're right. Um, or it was it was around that era. Man, I'm yeah. very interested in Shelley Winters, you know, 30 years earlier. Sure. Now, um, Shelley Long. Shelley Long, because she had just left Cheers the year before. She Cheers, left Cheers in 87. I watched the first season, and it was I really enjoyed it, but I was like, I'll watch some. I, I think it was like, I'll watch some Cheers. I'll watch some Frasier, because I've never seen these shows. Right. And I think I watched the first season of each, and I enjoyed them both, but then I was like, just Adieu. immediately stopped. Yeah. Who uh, She's delightful on Cheers. Uh, but this was like right, you know, she had... The Money Pit with Tom Hanks in 86. Troop Beverly Hills would be the year after in 89. Oh. So she was like, this is right around the time where she was like in a ton of comedies. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them were not very successful comedies. There's one I think called Outrageous Fortune with Bette Midler that I had never heard of. Wow, just yeah. take a line from Hamlet and make it into a comedy. <laughs> I think it's actually not based on Hamlet, clearly, but I think that they're like actors. And I think I'm pretty sure because I was like, what is this? I read a synopsis. It's, it's, it's like some stupid, one of those like crime comedy movies where they're like, uh-oh, we're accidentally witnessed a crime, so crime now we're com. on the run, and maybe we'll keep this money, but we don't. But instead, now we've got a lifelong friendship, and they... they, they, they Instead they, of money, I we, got we, I got that middle. Uh, well, no, but then they, I think it ends with them doing a production of Hamlet together with Shelley Long as Hamlet and Bette Midler as Ophelia. <gasps> <laughs> maybe vice versa? Um... <laughs> Can we now have a buddy comedy of Hamlet and Laertes played by Shelley Long and Bette Midler? Why didn't we get that instead? Sure, sure. And Harrison Ford as Gertrude. Interesting. Interesting. Jodie Foster auditioned, but turned it down in order to do The Accused, which she won the Oscar for that year. she did okay. She did okay. But that's another one. It's like, I'm not used to see like Jodie Foster and no. like even in Taxi Driver she's like such I mean it's it's she's got like she's similar in that she's like such this street smart but young she's a kid child. well she sure and is but part that's, of that... what works with that performance is how adult she seems as a child of you course know? I guess that's well that's what I mean of like someone like with Melanie Griffith someone who's like I'm smart it's just no one's gonna give me the chance yes. or, or for Tess McGill is the character yes, of like yes, someone yes. that's like I can do the thing, but because I'm a woman, because I have a certain class, um, and that's what I mean in terms of Jodie Foster. It's like you, you could dress her up however you want, but it's still going to read of, uh, you know, that she is like, I, I've got that savvy. It's just, it's it's still, once again, it's like not someone I ever would have been no. like, oh, what about Jodie Foster? Never would have danced to the forefront of my mind. <laughs> no, no. But uh, yeah, clearly she made the right choice. She did accuse, got her first of two Oscars for that, and went on to be Jodie Foster. This is interesting. 
Isabella Rossellini was considered. Well, but was, she's attractive. She sure is, but she was turned down because her quote according to them, her Italian accent couldn't work with the American character. I mean, I think you would have to. You would have to make you her change an things. Immigrant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, Which again, if we were to remake this movie today. I think it would be very stupid to put a white person in the lead because obviously right, like of the, course. we I mean we don't talk that much about class in America but like it, it would be very it would be a wasted opportunity not to combine it into a an examination of race and class as well as gender I agree. you know um I don't even think you'd have to have needed to make the character an immigrant I think you just have you no, have her like no, raised exactly. in like um in like one of the very Italian like little Italy or like very like a very Italian that's, community that's true, uh yeah. You know, if you're gonna have her, she yeah. just isn't gonna. Well, there are Italians live on Staten Island, um, for sure. But like, you're you're gonna pick like, yeah, heavily Italian neighborhood, and yeah, yeah, do you're gonna make it, you're gonna sculpt it around that. Yeah. But I totally, totally agree with you. Uh, and that's actually this is the the one person, uh, the one non-white person that was considered was a uh, Tia Carrere of uh, Wayne's World and True Lies. Oh. Uh, who? Because I was like curious about her background. She's Chinese, Spanish, Filipino, and Hawaiian. Uh, is wow. the one or the one non-white person that I saw that was up for the role, but I I think she'd been great as well. I, Fascinating. Yeah, I'm I'm shocked, frankly, in in '87 ish <laughs> when they're doing this that they considered a non-white person for this part. Yeah, you're, um, not, you're not wrong. Huh. This I thought was very interesting. Christine Ebersole screen tested. That makes a lot of sense to me, actually. Some people might know from Amadeus, Richie Rich. Uh, or Broadway. Broadway. She had a small role in Wolf of Wall Street as Leo DiCaprio's mom. But she, uh, yes, very big Broadway performer. But uh, in 1988, because she didn't do Working Girl, I did free her up to do the E.T. ripoff Mac and oh. May. <laughs> if you don't know Mac and May. Don't bother. No, no. Just YouTube, just YouTube Mac and Me Paul Rudd. Because Paul Rudd would... would <laughs> Always prank on talk shows. He will uh, well, it's whenever just on Conan. I, it's, think. I guess specifically Conan. You're right. It's always on Conan that he when he's supposed to bring in a, like a clip from the movie. He's like, okay, now here's he set up a clip. Like, okay, in this clip from uh, you know from from Forty Year Old Virgin, it's like this is me and Seth Rogen, and we're you know we're on we're having this whatever adventure, and then it just cuts to the same clip every single time. Every single time of a the protagonist in Mac and Me, the me, the me in Mac and Me, this small boy in a wheelchair losing control and going off a cliff. In like falling off a cliff and cutting to the dummy of him flying into this water as a tiny disgusting alien puppet, the titular Mac raises up, going like, uh, and he would do that every time. And Conan to to more and more uh, grumpy Conan effect. <laughs> oh, it's truly it is disgusting. A disgusting film. film. It is dis- It's a I nightmare. Can't, I can't recommend not watching it enough. Yes, Christina Ebersole is the mom <laughs> in that film, and it's so. so- Oh. Listener at home, you know how you live with a person for however many years we've been living together and you just have like stupid bits you'll do with one another. There's this one line that Christine Baranski says is they've moved from Chicago to yeah, or, yeah they, they, Chicago to LA. They moved from Chicago to LA and, and the kids are like, a, they, they're asleep in the car. They wake up and looking around. They're, they're just on like a highway surrounded by traffic. And she goes pretty like, nice look at the cars pretty, pretty nice, nice. So <laughs> time, well, anything will happen and jeff or i will go pretty, pretty nice. nice especially if the thing in question is not that nice <laughs> <laughs> oh but yes i can see actually her being a good fit for this part i guess i could see her more as Catherine. yeah for sure but she also like plays a lot of like this kind of mm. uh 
a character who be, also because of how she looks she yeah, she looks yeah. very appropriate fair enough rather than this yeah. like you know boston brahmin kind yeah. of thing that sigourney comes busting in with sure i hear you uh nicolette sheridan was i know this name but not this person. she was brooke in the noises off film of course a lot of people know her from desperate housewives as i believe edie question mark uh i, I, this I saw like the first season of Des- desperate housewives yeah, a whole season i think the first season it, it was it was a hot show at the time it was I a remember, big show i think and i didn't care i think my parents might have watched it as well or my mom did at least so it was like it was on i was like so it was, i would get wrapped up it was like oh hey it's roger bart it was, it was like a supporting role it was like people that i was like interested enough in and then quickly i think and then like the second season was alfrey woodard just like moves into town i was like hello alfrey woodard and i watched a little few episodes and i was like okay this has gone stupid real fast so i'm i'm good i'm good uh but yeah nicholas sheridan is like that's especially knowing her noises off is like that is that's exactly right it's like Katie Finneran as another great option yeah. as someone who's a Broadway actor who's played Brooke and Noises Off to great acclaim. Like playing that like quote unquote dumb blonde, but being able to like do it brilliantly and with great comedic timing. Brooke Shields badly wanted the role. And of course she did. Yeah. Okay. Because I mean, she, I forgot that she was just like already had made so many movies because oh, she yeah. was a teen star of stuff like Blue Lagoon and Endless Love. I, I did a show uh, with a woman who moved to New York in like 1980 and used to, her day job was teaching aerobics, which of course in the early 80s was like very fashionable. And she taught, I think it was called Body by Gilda. And she taught very famous Was people. this Gilda Ratner? No, it was not Gilda Radner, but I want to attend that studio. Um, but she, we one day, like she led all the women in the company in the, she still had the cassette tape. She like went home, got the cassette tape and we all dressed super eighties and did the Love whole it. thing. It was amazing. But she said she used to teach really famous people. She's like, it's really awkward when you're like, what do you say? Uh, cleanse your buttocks madonna listen brooke shields you know she's like because you know who they are but you're not supposed to but she said yeah we talk right, always, but right. she mentioned specifically madonna, madonna and brooke and shields brooke would shields. take at this fashionable aerobic wow. studio i love that I that is great. great um yeah because she was also she had just graduated princeton at the time because she was like uh-huh. d- ready to like get back into films and like this would have been that have been a great you know i mean for clearly for anyone this yeah, is a great, a great star making in a mike turn. nichols vehicle yeah where your co-stars are Harrison Ford and Sigourney Weaver. Come on. Yeah, come on, come on. Now, the person originally linked to the project in its early stages, the first person, Demi Moore. Wow. Also someone I would not have considered. No, but actually after having recently watched Ghost, I can see it much more clearly than if I had just thought about her later stuff. Yeah, I could see, you know, Demi Moore in like late 90s Demi Moore. I mean, Demi Moore today. I see as Kath. I, I think would be a great Catherine. But she cried so much in Ghost. Well, yes, but Melanie Griffith isn't crying all through this film. This no, isn't... but it shows a vulnerability I didn't realize she had. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough, I guess. Uh, it, it's interesting. But now, Demi Moore, because she was not doing Working Girl, I don't know if it was just by the time the film was getting made, she was no longer available for it. I'm not quite sure why she eventually pulled out. Mm-hmm. But she was doing this film called The Seventh Sign that sounds like one of the most it's one of the most bananas things i've ever read so this is the plot synopsis to the seventh sign in haiti the sea and its life forms die in the middle east a town is frozen these are signs of the apocalypse and the vatican is investigating but (laughs) 
Is it like Pope Detective? I, I wish it was. I wish, I wish it was Peter um, Falk as pope the Pope. One more question. Um, <laughs> Peter Falk as Pope Detective is a movie I would have loved. Animated series. <laughs> Done. Peter Falk just investigating like Peter satanic. Falk, colon. <laughs> Pope Detective. <laughs> Peter, coming to NBC this fall, Peter Falk is Pope Detective. Stand aside, young Pope. I'm, Peter I'm, Falk, Pope Detective. And now, now the Pope Mobile is just, con- you convert it's, his it's jalopy, jalopy into the Pope Mobile. He's got like a big light up cross on the top. Oh, it would have to. He can't like fit into it because his Pope hat's too tall. So oh, he's like leaning out the window. I, I, yes, Forgive me, Catholics. He's I don't got, know what the Pope hat is called. He's got the, oh, I'm, I'm a Catholic as well, and I don't know. He's got the Pope hat and the, 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 the trench coat. It's still, it's just the trench coat over the Pope wear. I love it so much. Uh, Copyright and almost darn. This synopsis. But what if it was? Um, I would. It would only. It would. It would make this movie make more sense. Okay, so. Uh, the sea and life forms are dying in Haiti. Middle East town is frozen. These are the signs of the apocalypse the Vatican is investigating. They've sent uh, Peter Falk as Pope Detective. (laughs) But Father Lucci advises that these omens are a hoax or technologically explained. In California, housewife Abby Quinn, Demi Moore, is pregnant. And the delivery is scheduled on February 29th. A leap year. Bum, bum, bum. Her is husband. Is the beast? Oh, the, yes. The, that little beast is leaping over the year. Uh, her husband, lawyer Russell Quinn, is defending a weird case of teenager Jimmy Sarangosa, who killed his parents, saying that it was because he was following the word of God. Oh, we love a satanic panic moment in the 80s. Meanwhile, Abby rents a garage apartment to the mysterious David Bannon. The hopeless Abby has strange nightmares and soon finds that around the world there are signs of the apocalypse in accordance with the book of Revelation. She learns also that David Bannon, you know, that guy she rented the garage apartment to, is Jesus who has returned. (laughs) Father Lucci is uh, the pilot's porter, Cartophilus, who was doomed to wander the earth for eternity, of course. And she... The pilot or pilot? It just says pilot's porter. So, so he's, pilot, he's, like pilot with a capital pilot, P, pilot. I, th- I think, yes, pilot. So I think pilot punctuses yes, yes, yes. porter. Punctious car- pilot. Punctious pilot. Yes, sorry. Punctious pilot's porter. Sorry, very bad. That is a tongue twister. Punctious pilot's punctious porter. Punctious pilot's porter. Punctious pilot's porter. Punctious pilot's porter, Peter Falk. <laughs> And she discovers that she, in fact, she's a woman who tried to help Jesus. So I don't know if that means she's reincarnated or what the heck. Uh, further, she's also the seventh sign, and the apocalypse will happen when her baby is stillborn. The beast. What can she do to save her unborn son and mankind? Question mark. Oh. And that's the end of the synopsis on IMDb. My uh, head. <laughs> and the only person that can put that all these saw pieces this together is Peter Falk, Falk detective. <laughs> I'm holding my face in an unusual <laughs> way, and I just realized it because I'm so perplexed. You, you, you're like doing the home alone, but you've also crossed your arms, so your right it's hand like is on your left cheek and your I left hand is on your right cheek. I tried to hug myself and instead yeah. covered my face, and you, now- you, You've done a hug yourself. You've done, you done a home alone hug. <laughs> a home alone self hug right here. I need it. I need it after that. <laughs> wow. Uh, that got made. Technically. <laughs> It didn't necessarily get seen, but it did get made. Did it get distributed? Well, to some extent. To some extent. Uh, And then we... Wait a sec. Oh, that sound means it is time to 
play a quick round of Two Truths and Some Guy. Lay it on me. Or in this week's case, Two Truths and Some Person. Some Tess. Gender is dead. The way it works, two of the following actors were up for the role of Tess. One was not. And Amy Jo has to guess which is which. Your options are Madonna, mm. Kim Basinger, mm. and Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm, you love to stop me. Kim Basinger, Madonna, and Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. All of them period appropriate. Mm, yeah. I'm going to say some guy is Kim Basinger. Ding, ding, ding. <gasps> you are correct. Yes. Very good. As far as I could tell, Kim Basinger was not up for the role of Tess. Uh, but producer Doug Wick recalled that Mike Nichols called him at night saying Madonna was on The Tonight Show and just said, watch her. There's something very interesting about her. Uh, to, it's that she's hot. Yeah. Well, to consider for Tess. Interesting about her for the role of Tess, which I get. I, th- I could so also oh, see. I totally understand yeah. why she was up for this, which is why. I couldn't discount it. <laughs> and Wick also said, we talked about Michelle Pfeiffer, but we observed that if you cast someone like that, there would have been a line of guys at her desk trying to marry her. We needed an old-fashioned movie star, someone who, when they had glasses on, you believed they had a little anonymity, and as soon as they took them off, you saw they were a beauty. You needed someone fiercely intelligent, but in a slightly more unique way. Mm. Which it is like, until she gets that makeover, it is not that she's clearly she's still gorgeous, Melanie Griffith, but it is more of like, Whereas with Michelle Pfeiffer, I feel like no matter what you can't hairdo, you yeah. slap on her. It's it's like when she did um, they, they did the film adaptation of Frankie and Johnny, the Terrence McNally play with her mm. and Al Pacino, and everyone's like, you've got Michelle Pfeiffer as this waitress and like a diner waitress, and it's just like you don't, regardless of anything yeah. else, yeah. someone would make her a model if you know yeah. someone would like come along yeah. and be like, no, 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 no. So I think they both would have done a. I think they. I think Michelle Pfeiffer also would have done a great job, oh, but it is. Yes. I mean, you got to work extra hard. I'm thinking of her in the beginning of Batman Returns before she becomes Catwoman, yes. where she's like a real, like, they're trying to make her a real mousy, trying to do a real, big glasses what's wearing. What's her name? Rachel, uh, what's her name when she's all that? Oh, Rachel Lee Cook. Rachel Lee Cook. Yes, yeah, so you take the glasses off and you shake the hair like out. Rachel McAdams. Rachel, Rachel McAdams. Vice. Who do Rachel I mean? Vice. Rachel Lee Cook. Yeah, it's a real, like, yeah. okay, you're trying a little too hard and, and to no effect. Right. Know? Whereas Melanie Griffith, she just really just looks like, oh, yeah, this is a Staten Island woman. Yeah, like a hot chick from yeah. Staten Island. Yeah. And not like, who is this classic beauty? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, let's keep it going. Let's move on to Jack. Amy, Joe, your thoughts on Harrison Ford and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? My thoughts on Harrison Ford are he's not as creepy as you think he is. Um, I found him charming. I totally understand. Jeff and I don't discuss like our casting options before, but we, we will talk about yeah. the film while and after we've watched it. And I don't have the same aversion to him in this role that you do but i understand your concerns which uh, to the way i understand them are that he's not naturally funny enough and so it reads like he's trying a little bit too hard to be funny and and that that is their way of trying to undercut the like weirdness yeah is that correct i I, i'd agree with that i mean like even extending beyond once he's you know we get past the weirdness of that their first interaction even moving on it's still 
it just feels like uh you know a, a, a jacket that doesn't quite fit him all all the I lightness totally and that. comedy and the well, romantic comediness he's also like part of it is i think the setting in that like harrison ford was a carpenter for many years he wasn't like working on wall street which is not to yeah. say he can't act it because i totally buy him as one of these guys sure. but i wonder if that's maybe also part of it is that a thing that fits him more comfortably is like can i just be a guy and not like a a, a man in a suit like one of my thoughts and this is someone who i think because and I love this actor and he's incredibly done incredibly well for himself, but he does not have the sex appeal mm -hmm. that Harrison Ford does. And therefore, which I think allows him to get away with a lot, allows Harrison Ford to get away with a lot. And that's Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman. Is I someone, almost picked him. Yeah, I almost considered him. I buy him in this world. Yeah. But I think that Harrison Ford gets away with more because he's like this like hunk that people also yeah. have loved for 10 years at this point in cinema, you know? But then I thought, okay, taking your criteria of like, I want someone who is a little, leans a little bit more comedically, but these are all more contemporary people. I was like, Great. okay, my, my two choices for, and they're both for now or the last like 10 years are William Jackson Harper. I also have yes. William Jackson Harper. He is the most charming. Yes. But you also like never think he is out to like maybe rape someone. No, but and, yes, of course, of Chidi from Good Place yes. for those who don't know him. And then I also thought Dulé Hill, who is someone Ooh. who, I mean, he was on the West Wing. The yeah. man can wear a suit and look sure. like a business person, but then he's a total clown. Yes. So like can play the like goofy aspects yeah. in a way that won't read as that. creepy. I think that's great. What Yeah, what I liked about William Jackson Harper was, because he's also, he's playing up the nerd yes ness because for a good place because he is an attractive man oh he is a jacked human being so is also just think just thinking of the guys that of all the criteria where it's like okay you don't want him to come across as rapey you do want the scene where he's been working all, a whole, working an all nighter and he's changing shirts in his office as all the women are applauding um which William Jackson Harper is an incredible specimen of a yes, human being yes he is um, but also it's like something that the character clearly is not like oh yeah I was changing so you don't applaud he's like oh yes of course sorry you're watching right. yeah. Uh, yeah but of also someone who can be like you know, this is the way things are done. It's like, are, are you you're doing a meeting without me? Like, you're trying to cut me out? Like, oh, I can't, totally. I'm not going to be cut out. I, like, that kind of, like, nervousness. So well that, like, that persona. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and of course, of the the romantic, which he does so well with Kristen Bell in Good Place. I, I was like, William Jack and Harper. I made today. I was like, he was like, came to the, the top of the my list. The forefront. The forefront. Uh, I also thought present day, because someone who's also, who's got those good looks, you buy as the businessman, but also total clown, John Hamm. Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. if this was made today, I think he's, like, top of the list. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, and also, like, because we have this history of him as a businessman in right. our collective exactly. conscious. Come on. Yeah, come on. Uh, of the time, someone who I think reads more of, like, of that Wall Street businessy guy. That's, he's not quite a Wall Street business guy, but um, also someone who I think can be a little slightly later touch is... Who just did Ghost, Patrick Swayze. He was on I my, think, like, short list Because, well. you know, so, someone who... Because I feel like this is the only romantic comedy film Harrison Ford has ever done. I could be mistaken, but I think mm. it is. Whereas Patrick Swayze, you know, between Dirty Dancing and Ghost, and like he has, he's able to do the like the romance as well, and and the lightness. I I, I could see. I also was thinking Tony Goldwyn from yeah, Ghost. You take I away the that. villain aspect because I thought one of the reasons that he works so well as a villain in Ghost is that he's so charming. Yeah. He's really affable on camera, and Absolutely. because you don't buy him as some kind yeah. of. Um, lascivious creep until you yeah. find out that he is yeah you know but the person that i think i like best for jack 
that I think for me ticks all the boxes off of someone like you can do the whole the whole beginning as is and still not ever really think anything awful is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Who's got the comedy? Who's got the romance? Tom Hanks. Oh, yes, of course. America's dad. America's dad. You're so right. I see him with he, the falafel sauce in, in the corner of his mouth, just being just yeah. looking like a bit of a dope and also just being love struck. And, and see, so I buy him seeing her and like, I can't tell you my name because then it'll just be business. And you read it, you buy it immediately as that opposed to anything creepy about it, anything of like, and I think part of it is I'm that being he duplicitous. Is, he's attractive, but he's not. Harrison Ford. Yeah. So there's, the, I think that that interaction when it's someone who's a little bit less used to being completely objectified. Right. You might lose the scene of him changing his shirt and all these women applauding. You might. But I think you gain that light, that lightness of touch, and so I right. of That's him just choice. like realizing he's at actually at Trask's daughter's wedding and like freaking out about that. Of so, someone who could be a bit more ruffled. That's what I want. Harrison mm. Ford. They're doing their best to make him look ruffled, but he always seems so unflappable to me. Yeah. I mean, even when they're like, they must his hair up and they're putting food into the corner of his mouth and it's still like, yeah, but you're still Harrison Ford. I mean, I'll be honest, when we sat down to watch this movie, because it had been like three years since I'd seen it, I was like, oh, I forgot Harrison Ford was in this. He is one of the main characters, but I completely forgot. I mean, he doesn't come in until 35 minutes I remember Alec Baldwin was in it, but I didn't remember who he played. If that tells you anything about my priorities in watching this film, I remember Melanie Griffith, Sigourney Weaver, and Joan Cusack, and nothing else. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I'll say real quick, Harrison Ford said it was a tactic of his at the time to look for something different to what he had lately done, which clearly this is very different from anything he's done. Um, because his two movies before Working Girl, uh, were this movie Frantic, where his wife Betty Buckley disappears in Paris, Betty and he's got to go find wow, her. Wow, it's the original Taken. Yeah, and The Mosquito Coast, a thriller where he uproots his New England family along with Helen Mirren, his wife, to create a new utopia in the jungle, and promptly goes insane. Uh, yeah, it's like a very like Heart of Darkness. So many yeah. things you have told me tonight have caused <laughs> me to rub my face in distress. Uh, a utopia in the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, only one other person that was up for Jack Trainer, and so funny considering of who you remember from this film, it was Alec Baldwin. I believe that. Yeah. yeah. But when you put Alec Baldwin in that part, it's a lot douchier of a movie. I suppose, but it's also a lot less starry because at this time he was not, he was nowhere near as well known as oh, Harrison really? Ford. I'm sure that's true. Of course. Yeah. Because Juliet Taylor, the casting director, said, Mike and I had already kind of fallen for Alec Baldwin and wanted him to play Jack. Like, he had the role. Oh, he's and he's, uh, I think, a better fit for the part. Yeah. But the studio was catatonic about that. They did not want two unknowns in the leads. But then they were like, okay, so then we got Harrison Ford. And the studio said they didn't want to pay for both Harrison Ford and Sigourney Weaver. So it went back to Baldwin. And then the studio got cold feet and said, you know what? We will pay for Ford's salary. So they had to, Mike Nichols had to call Alec and say, look, I'm really sorry. The circumstances have changed. Would you do this other part? Alec understood and was so lovely about it. He came in and really nailed that character, which I think he really does. Yeah. In this, like as much as sometimes Alec Baldwin makes me want to like punch him. And I don't mean in the performances. I mean, because of how I perceive him to be as a Mm -hmm. human. Um, He's wonderful in this and really conveys it in a like a full wholehearted way. Yeah, I, I was surprised that he comes back because I, I thought like she would come back home and catch him sleeping with this other woman and that you'd never see him again. But he's, of course, at Joan Cusack's it really, uh, engagement, uh, engagement party. party. And, and he's like fully, fully proposes to her and is like trying to win her back. Uh, and like you buy it, like he re- you buy it, it that it's genuine. You buy that he's also yeah. like not a great guy, and is still then. Of course, the movie ends, and he's like probably gonna marry that woman that he was cheating on her with. But it also, I think, the writing of that whole 
element of the story is so excellent. And we talked a bit yeah. about this yesterday. And Melanie Griffith like, plays it so she well. Plays it so well. The moment yeah. it's really the moment at the scene that they had to redo. Um, where she is sitting at the bar with him at the engagement party and she's very frosty to him because they haven't seen one another since she walked in on him. Uh, Nude, in, in flagrante delicto, if you will. <laughs> and shall. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, they're like very cold when he's like, you're looking good. She's like, thank you, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah, well, uh, I did this and uh, got my boat license approved. And how her whole demeanor just like melts. And it's like such a testament to like, we haven't heard anything before that about him trying to get a boat light. Like, no, you don't need that. Like, you yeah. know, in that moment, the way those two actors play it, you see the years of history between them. You see, like, how much he's wanted this and how much she wanted this for him. And it's just like, it's so well written and then so well played. And, and I, I feel they like play you, so well together. You also, I, To me, I also bought, I also read into it of, like, him trying to better himself for her, her because then it turns that she's slipping away and then it turns out it, that kind of really isn't the case because once she's she's being like you know you can't just you know i, I walked in on you you can't just like now ask me to me marry you days later and she's like you know life. like who died and made you grace kelly i was just like you're always talking about like how everyone's always Which got on you and it's also, like because you are <laughs> sorry that's also such a good callback to like her looking like grace kelly which is really her looking like tippy hedron because <laughs> tippy hedron was modeled in the mold of grace kelly when grace kelly went off to marry the prince of monaco and albert hitchcock was like fine tippy hedron i'll make you into my grace kelly mm. I just think it's the layers of Hollywood yeah. history. I was like, I like it. I appreciate that very much. Yeah, I love that. Also, I love because Alec Baldwin, after this, in 1990, would go on to play Jack Ryan in The Hunt for Red October, a role that would then be immediately taken over by Harrison Ford in the sequels <sighs> Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger. <laughs> because they're interchangeable as we've always thought they were. Also, apparently, Melanie Griffith was very smitten by Alec Baldwin. Uh, and as she said, Alec Baldwin is handsome and charming, and I just had such a crush on him. But he wouldn't go there with me. I was like, oh, come on. Have a romance with me. But no, Alex said, I can't do this with people I work with. He's a sweetheart. And they're still like, they still stayed friends after for like years and years and years. Uh, But she's so funny. She's just like mercilessly trying to like seduce Alec Baldwin. But he was more successful at this point than she was. I mean, I guess she had two Golden Globes, but like he was about. Yeah. I mean, it's. Really take off. I guess. Yeah. yeah, She has like less films, but has more awards. And he's. Got more. But he's got more more... experience, which I will say, like, you spend enough time in the biz and you're like. Right. No, thank you. Yeah. You know. But yeah, I, I can so see him as Jack. It is like much more that younger i forget exactly how old he was because harrison ford was 45 but i, I think Alec Baldwin was probably close to melanie griffith probably like i would say like mm-hmm. mid 30s seems about right early yeah. mid 30s um but i can still see you're right he it, there's a certain he has an edge to him that harrison ford doesn't have which would i think be harder to make some of those earlier scenes play however i do think overall would i buy the performance yeah. but I, not the performance i think harrison ford does a does a lovely job but would i buy this person in this circumstance more probably yes there might be a couple more shades of his beetlejuice character in there of the, the, you could have him in the, the slight more uh you know stick up his butt but as we've talked about he hated that performance he sure did well yeah <laughs> you know what good point thank um, you i don't forget everything but i think he would feel different you know do, doing yes. a romantic comedy directed by mike nichols compared to a to fantasy horror comedy directed by, like, by really first time a, director yeah, Tim Burton. yeah second time after Pee-wee's Big Adventure, but I'm sure Alec Baldwin was like... That doesn't uh, count. Uh, you know what, Tim? Uh, I, I didn't make it to see uh, Pee-wee, but I uh, heard, heard good things. Heard good things. <laughs> heard it was real weird. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to Sin. Amy Jo, what do you think of that Joan Cusack? Who, who, ha? <laughs> and besides Nicole Byer, who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? Okay, I love Joan Cusack, and she is perfection. So good. The hair, 
which I know she makeup. didn't do, but oh. but she wears it with such a plum. She's so great. She, also, like thinking of like the number of different things we see her in. Her range is remarkable. She's such a. She's so funny. She sure is. I she was her. asked. She was asked about like the hair and the makeup. But like, what do you feel about that? She's like, I love it. Oh, I was like, yeah. what do you do? You like go out in it? She's like, oh yeah, I would just go home in it. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I would take it off at home. I'd be like, well, of course, I'm sure. Also, by the end of a long shooting day, it's like I don't want to do this all now. Let me just get home and I can then like unwind but and then if take you off look and I, I didn't realize that the hair. people in the staten island ferry were not uh, you know extras and it might have like, been in the shot on the ferry no, but, I mean but the shot they, of them walking but the shot the of them walking i remember looking at that and looking because their hair is so tall but looking at other women who had similar hair yeah. and knowing now that those were not designed <laughs> to be that way i was like well yeah um okay so i have marissa tomei on here sure um yeah. i have nicole Byer. no then i have much more contemporary ones. And these two that I have are Natasha Leone. Love. Who would be, I think, a real hoot. Yeah. And also someone who brings a lot of depth, which is, I think, yeah. why she got an Oscar nomination for this. Is that it's, just, it's not just a yeah. character. It's yeah. like a real person. The relationship I, you know, is so clear. I, I could even see Natasha Leone as Tess. I think she would totally. have actually been oh, fantastic. So right. Totally. It is kind of, not that they're interchangeable. But there is like a certain like, if you're if you're right for, for one, one. You could be right you for the other. You could be as right actor, for yeah. the other. Yeah. And the other is Aquafina. That is who I had. Yeah, if this made today, Aquafina. Yeah, I mean, it's the first person who came to mind for me. Uh, I'm of course just thinking of her and Crazy Rich Asians. Um, is a very a similar tour de force, which is why I was kind of con- surprised. As great as Joan Cusack is in this movie, I was surprised she was nominated for an Oscar. Just in just the sense of like her role really is just there it's as support, yeah. but not even very small. But it's just like doesn't really have her own thing going on. She's getting married, but that's it she does she's, she's not there like as a foil right she's there as the reminder of what life could be like if yeah test stayed of course but it's still it was just surprising to me that she didn't have like whatever she didn't she never really had like her a, a big scene where she's, she's like like snap out of it test you don't know how good you got it it's like this is me and i'm gonna get married and of course i love him and of course you know i'm gonna this is all I got, but you're, you, you've got the smarts, you've got that drive and like, you need to do it. She doesn't have that. No, she has a lot of small scenes. She disappears for long portions of she this film. Does. Coffee, tea, me. me. But every, I mean, every time she's on, she's just like hitting comedic. Isn't she a character? Yeah. She's so good. It's not even leather. The line delivery of that, I think alone is what got her the Oscar nomination. It might, <laughs> it might so, be. I'll see if she has something to. Or I would, the I would shot. bet that was the sh- the the clip in the Oscars oh, when they be. show like. Joe there's Cusack also that girl. great shot of the chandelier descending while the oh. classical music is playing. She's like, why does it do, why that? do that for cleaning? cleaning. <laughs> it's just like. I was like, oh, that does make sense, but that's bananas to me. Yeah. That your chandelier can just raise or lower. But if you think about it, like having. I mean, We've been to some fancy places in New York. There's a person whose house I catered at that it was on, I think, like, uh, mid-90s east side, like, half a block from Fifth Avenue. Mm -hmm. Townhouse. Six floors. Oh, my God. My job was to... we. I mean, and it's slender but long. It, like, stretches the whole... So you would you you would go to the sixth floor, hang on to the chandelier, and then ride all the way back down to the first. I wish, I wish. No, I definitely would. My job was to run coats to the basement. Mm. So I it was like a gathering of like other girls from this all girls high school that mm. the host had gone to, and uh, so I, I would like take the coats downstairs. I mainly hung out in the kitchen because that was on the ground floor. Yeah. One of the other caterer quote unquote cater we were not hired by a catering company. One of the we were all actors. One of the other caterers' jobs was just to go around with these like little hors d'oeuvres we had like 
put in the oven. And then the other one was the quote unquote bartender, which this is one of my favorite things ever is we, you know, it's before all the guests starting, started to arrive. And the guy who was doing the bartending, like comes down to the kitchen where this other girl there is like, guys, come on, come on, look at this, look at this. And we go up there and it's a whole like bar and it, like, it's fully stocked with every kind of like beautiful top shelf liquor you want. But then he's like, and look at this. And he opens up the cabinet underneath and it's these huge refill vats, like huge sizes of these top shelf liquors that you could then pour in and put on the big show. And this other, this other girl who I'm catering with goes, you know, I always think money doesn't matter but I never knew what true wealth was until this <laughs> moment. And that always has stuck with me. I was like, yeah, not the six floors of a house right. where yeah, where it's all like one central staircase. So the chandelier would have to be lowered from the yeah. sixth floor down to the first yeah. if you wanted to clean it. Oh, but it's like, not that. No. The liquor cabinet. That you can order yourself this like drums of vodka, of like top it's a gray dr- goose, it's exactly right. it's a, a barrel. Like a barrel. A drum of, of Hennessy. Oh, yeah, God. exactly. Oh my, goodness. oh my gosh. Yeah, no, but it was exactly that because it's like the way that the, all those staircases work in those Wild. like apartments yeah. is like they, that's one big unit up top Jeez. and you're not going to like hang out over six floors to sort of dust it you're going to lower it right yeah no it's a great moment it's it it was sh- as shocking to me as it was to the characters i was like why i was like is this just the camera angle is the camera just moving past the chandelier and they're just like why staring at this fancy chandelier i just i didn't even understand what was happening and i'm sure other people are like oh yeah no of course chandeliers lower how do you think they clean and then them? other people are like why does but it what? do that what is why happening? Do that? Yeah. so one other performer up for the role of sin it was originally written for whoopi goldberg now i love that yeah that's fantastic. I can so easily see that. It's yes. so immediately different from Joan Cusack, but also the same. Yeah. It's kind of what she does in Soap Dish. Yeah. In, yeah. in a less like broadly right. Staten Island way. Yeah. Instead, in 1988, Whoopi was doing Clara's Heart with baby Neil Patrick Harris and some movie called The Telephone I never heard of that was directed by Rip Torn and was the subject of a massive lawsuit because Whoopi was supposed to get final cut and <gasps> did not. Uh, it's supposed to be yeah, a very troubled <laughs> filming for Don't that film. put that up. in the contract if you're not going to fulfill it. That. Yeah. Well, apparently she was like refused to even say the lines in the script. She was just like improvising because she also hated. Apparently that movie was written for Robin Williams and who then passed. So then it was Whoopi Goldberg. Um, I, I know. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm shaking my head. My eyeballs are rolling around. I don't know where to catch right, them. Right. The point being, I think this would have been a better choice for Whoopi. Uh, but she did. Okay. Joan was fan. Of course. Of course. She won that Oscar two years later for Ghost. Yeah. But uh, I could so see her in this. And yeah, I think yeah. she would have like also. Killed. I think she would have been incredible. But also. Whoopi is Tess. Yeah. Come on. Well, again, I then know. you have, of course. you have, you, you can play it very differently if it is like a, a young black woman. Yeah. You don't have to, you can just calibrate it very differently because you're talking about different, you're talking code in a lot of ways. I mean, which they already are. But again, you add something like race to something that's just se- seemingly about class and sexism. You have a, a lot more layers to your film to deal with. I 100% agree. And I think that Whoopi would have crushed either role. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's finish up with our last character, Catherine Parker. Amy, Joe, your thoughts on Sigourney Weaver. And who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? Okay. I have written in all caps <laughs> and underlined with two exclamation points. She's perfect. <laughs> she is. This. I do think this is absolutely one of my favorite Sigourney performances. She's so fun. She's so funny. She's so light. She's clearly having a ball. Oh, like yeah. 
it's very annoying when you as an actor get the note being like, well, just have fun with it. Because I'm just like, what does that mean? But you see a performance like this, you're like, it means that. It means like taking delight in what oh, yeah. you're doing. I, oh, that little run where she's explaining, because she said they, they set up early on that she's like going to be engaged. She's like, oh, if, I, I have a feeling he's going to pop the question. And then later you learn it's Harrison Ford. But and Melanie Griffith is like, oh, really? Like, how do you know? I was like, well, I've done this. I've taken the whole month of June off. And after all. I'm me. Yeah, she says, she's like, well, I've, I've, she says something that's very like businessy, like, like I've made, not made my intentions known. Yeah. Something, something along those lines. Yeah, 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 yeah. That I can't even think of because it's I mean, so her, far from her line world. readings, her line readings are outrageously good. I mean, that one, because she threads also threads that needle, rides that line so carefully at the oh. beginning where you buy that Melanie Griffith thinks like, oh, wow, this woman is actually like, we're going to be, it's a two way street. Two-way we're going to be. You know, she's going to help actually, you know, Oliver Platt was never going to help me, but I think that she might. And then she's immediately going to turn around and be duplicitous. But like that first little run, they're, they're talking At back the and end forth. Of their, like, meeting and in her yes, office. Emily Griffith is like, thank, thank you, Catherine. And so Gordon just said that slight pause and call me Catherine. It's such a power move. <laughs> it's so excellent. It's like such a, and also because Sigourney was like, born in Manhattan. Her father was like a broadcasting producer or something like that. She comes from yeah. the world of not just like acting, but kind of, kind of like how Gwyneth Paltrow's father was. Wasn't he a producer? Probably. Anyway, similarly, like Sigourney's like, she comes into a world of like, not necessarily wealth, but power. And so like to then be like, all right, I'm going to take that and put it into this character who is young and sexy and fun, but also like has grown up knowing she's going to take everything that she thinks she deserves. Yeah. And she's so good. It's um, great. And she's never like mustache twirling. No! She, you, you buy her is also like very real. You're like, yep, this seems real. This and is you also how of... she has gotten to be this powerful. And I actually, I still felt some sympathy for her at the end. Because it's also like, as a woman, it's like, she's going to have to, you know, kind of, I mean, Tess is clearly just a more decent human being. Yes. Uh, which is why, the, you know, the film has that great ending with her and her new secretary. And she yeah. just treats her like a, a human but being. That but that Oliver Platt doesn't get a takedown. Yeah. He who must not be named doesn't really get a takedown. Yeah. But Sigourney Weaver does. It's like, well, that's kind of a bummer. But also it's like kind of what you had to do to get ahead as a woman at the time. It's like yeah. a real statement on the times. Now, before you tell me your other picks, yes. you want to hear something that's going to blow your mind? I would love to. In the original script? Yeah. Catherine Parker? Man. Was a man. Knew it. <laughs> Sigourney has made her career playing roles that were originally written for men. <laughs> I knew it. I love it. Way to go, Sigs. Yeah. I thought that was great because I think I think that was the writer that like halfway through pre-production was were like, I mean, clearly before casting was just like, oh, I just had this great idea. Like she should be a woman, which you're like, absolutely. Also, the secretary at the end was originally a man, which I get when you're showing like you're wanting Tess to is like that, but... whatever. But you get the bonus of showing her. It's, it, helping it's other so much boats to rise. Help, exactly. Helping a fellow woman opposed to her being like, which is still fine to end with her with a guy as her assistant being like, no, we'll be fine. It's like, but that's not the message that you really no. want to end with. It's like you want to show that she's also learned from all of her experiences and she won't make the same mistakes as Sigourney. She's yes. going to, yeah, help lift up her fellow Wow, woman. that's fascinating. Wow. Yeah. I will say maybe this is a good moment to mention <laughs> that you and I have both been to Sigourney Weaver's apartment. We sure have. Not even at the same time before mm, no. we were even dating. Yes, this is true. Um, but that Warhol of her yes, faces. Yes, the amazing Warhol 
painting of Sigourney. He's Mead. in Sigourney's. <laughs> At least was. Loft. She had a recent interview where she said, like, oh, I don't know where that is. It's in some storage room. Well, it was so... there in what, like 2012? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. At least in 2012, it was hanging up in their massive, it was absolutely massive space. There. So, like, they have this, like, big loft in Manhattan. I won't say where. But um, there was also, like, a swing in the ceiling. <laughs> sure was. And so, like, everyone else was in the kitchen. Why and I does was... the swing lower so they can clean it? So they can clean it. Uh-huh. So I was like, I was like several glasses of wine into my evening and like everyone else is in the kitchen chatting. She's there with her dogs, you know, and her husband's cooking pasta. And I was like, I'll be right back. And I like go and swing on the swing. And I'm like looking at this Warhol going back and forth. I mean, Warhol, you know, I don't, it's not an actual Warhol. No, is it? No, 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 no. But it's like looking at this like yeah. faux Warhol. Yeah. And I was just like, what is my life today? <laughs> This is a good life I have. <laughs> yes. I had a potluck dinner there because I had a dinner show. I mean, we both, because we had both gone, went through the Flea Theater, which her uh, husband, Jim Simpson, used to be the artistic director of. And so she was we, on the board. And she was on the board of. So we'd both, I, mean, I had like finished a show. So we all, like the cast was invited for a potluck dinner. I assume yours was a similar situation-ish. No, no. mine was a reading that I was a re- in. Oh, of course, of course, With of course. a lot of fancy people. I was one of the <laughs> two or three people that nobody knew. And we all found one another. We're like, I don't recognize you from television. Right. Let's go have lunch together because in, in I this, can't go to lunch in, in, with Adam Driver. <laughs> well, that's what I was about to say. In this reading, weren't you his love interest? I was Adam Driver's love interest. And we, in like, we the, like broke up in the first scene, and then the rest of my scenes were with Tony nominee Danny Burstein. And wasn't this like the? Didn't you say this was the week that Girls aired? The literally, first episode dropped. Literally, we were all sitting because it was like a whole long day, and we're like sitting around their like giant kitchen, like long kitchen table that they have at Sigourney's place, and we're like reading through this script and it was the day that girls premiered i think because they already knew like oh we've already gotten picked he was like oh thanks but like reggie kathy was like congrats on your show man and i was like oh thank you we just got picked up for season two like we just premiered like it was it was like the week the first episode of girls premiered and i was like i've seen adam driver on broadway he seems to be quiet and keeping to himself i'm gonna go hang out with the other no names (laughs) right rather than this guy who i've you know about to blow up about to be a (laughs) multi-award nominee Mm. winner Yep, 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 yep. Uh, so who do you got for Catherine? Oh, yeah, yeah. What, you, what we're done with biz stories? Great. Um, Angelica Houston. Love it. Is a great choice for I was thinking her. contemporary. I was thinking her, sure. A similar era, Christine Baranski. Ooh. Who, yeah. let's be real, would be phenomenal. Yeah. And then uh, a bit younger, Tony Collette. Love it. Love that, Tony. Uh, people I was thinking, a, l- a little more left field, but I was thinking of her in um, Trainwreck, Tilda Swinton. I She's on my short list. Oh, uh, love it. Um, because I said John Hamm, I of course imagine Christina Hendricks. I could oh, also I think it also be great. Come on. Um I think the same year as Beetlejuice, Catherine O'Hara is a very yes, atypical yes. choice, but I think would be great. Going back to Christina Hendricks, I mean she really does have like a mind for business and a body for sin. Like she'd be an interesting yeah. test, you know. Oh, you're so so true. She's Excellent also got point. that like little voice. Excellent and, point, you know. yeah. And as you mentioned, Mir Sorvino for uh, Tess, I considered her and Lisa Kudrow, where I was like, Lisa Kudrow never really got a shot like that to do that. But I was also mm. like doing a little later Lisa Kudrow, like today, whatever, 10 oh, years ago. Yeah. Lisa Kudrow's Catherine, yeah. I think is really interesting. She's such a brilliant performer. She's so funny. She doesn't get the due she deserves. She really doesn't. She's so good. So good. She's a, like a, a brilliantly calibrated comedic genius. Absolutely. So once... Melanie Griffith was cast. The studio said they needed another name for Catherine as insurance. Sure. So Mike Nichols brought Sigourney on board because he directed her on Broadway in the play Hurley Burley. Oh, 
the Hurley Bears. The old Hurley Bears. With Cynthia Nixon. Cynthia doing Nixon. Double duty. William Hurt. Christopher, well, it was Christopher Walken in Chicago. Then it was Ron Silver on Broadway. Uh, yes, yeah, Cynthia Nixon doing double duty. Cynthia Nixon doing, two Broadway who, doing shows Hurley works. Burley and The Real Thing, two separate Broadway shows. She would still make curtain call for both. Because Hurley Burley would start at seven. She's only in the first act. So at eight o'clock, she'd be done. She'd run to the next theater, do The Real Thing. Hurley Burley is such a long play that she would come back to, for the very last scene. No one and would let you show. do that now. Absolutely not. But That's bananas. How making two production contract salaries at once. <laughs> Good on you. Sin. Good uh, on you, Cynthia. So maybe a fun choice for Catherine, Cynthia Nixon. Not that time. Not, not that, that time, era. but yeah, that's um. I mean, I'm just thinking of like her Sex and City co-star Kim Cattrall as oh, Catherine, that's, that's very who smart. I th- I think would be could be real yes, good. Yes, um, but they're all good at acting. They're all good at acting, but so are all these women. So let's go through. These are the women that were up for Catherine. Oh, right off the bat, Goldie Hawn was considered. Oh, I love. Who's also someone who, like young Goldie young Hawn as Tess in like night, late sixties, early seventies. Goldie Hawn remake Private Benjamin and have her oh, as Tess and Eileen Brennan as Catherine. I don't. Know, part of me is like, if you have Goldie Hawn as Catherine, that makes sense to me. Then with Demi Moore. As, it's like also where you sure. have like people, although I guess they're not the same age, but I like when you have people that like look like somewhat the same age, but they're opposite. So you have like yeah. a blonde and a brunette. So if you're having like a blonde Catherine, I kind of like having a, a brunette or Lorraine Bracco, who I mean, mm-hmm. Lorraine has had a variety of hair, colors and styles. Haven't we um, all? Haven't we all? Kathleen Turner was considered. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This I feel like is an easier role to cast. I, get, I think it. I think you're right. I think it is, but I I think Sigourney does it so brilliantly yeah. that it's hard to imagine someone being better than her. However, I think just type wise, yeah. there are more people who can deliver this because it's true. It's subtle, but in a much more familiar way okay. than Tess. You know what I mean? I agree. I think it's more about not making keeping it three dimensional. Yeah, is to not make it a two dimensional villain. But to find someone who can execute it just fine, I yeah. think it's actually. But there's more people who do this. Um, but do you think that a little actress named Meryl Streep could have pulled it off? Sigourney's old uh, college buddy. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, who she was doing a cry in the dark in '88 at the same time. Everyone so. was doing their another of her their like wildlife films, things, you know, wildlife films. But uh, I think Meryl would, of course, also been yes. incredible. Anne Archer was turned down, who had just been nominated for Fatal Attraction the year prior. It's kind of oh. the main thing I know her from. But yes. she's also she's also in Patriot Games and Clear and Present da- Present Danger with uh, with Harrison Ford. Um, I neither did I, neither did I. So I mainly know her from Fatal Attraction, yeah. but she's great in. Yeah. I mean, clearly she's got the least showy I role. Mean, of Glenn that trio. Close is a great I mean, option for this part. Ooh, that Glenn is a great option. She's great at acting. Well, da-da-da-doy. And in Fatal Attraction, she's very good at like playing like, I'm not crazy. I'm very discreet. No, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Cher auditioned, <laughs> who was just coming off a of Moonstruck the year before. So, you you know. I'd rather see her as Oscar a young win. Tess, honestly. Sure. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Uh, and finally... Sheena Davis was considered. Who surprised me? No. Because where Sigourney goes, there Gina goes. Where Gina goes, there goes Sigourney. They're both tall and thin. And therefore it's like, And they got that curly brown hair. And a great smile. And a great smile. What are you going to do? Not say, hey, oh, hey. hey." Um, Yes, if if it was Gina Davis instead of the stuffed gorilla, she would have had a giant stuffed sandworm from Beetlejuice, of course. (laughs) Um, Oh, which actually, because this is 1988, so she had a very busy year. She had Beetlejuice, previous episode. She had Earth Girls Are Easy and The Accidental Tourist, 
which won her the Oscar for Supporting Actor. Mm -hmm. Now, I saved Gina Davis for last because Melanie Griffith was also up for the Accidental Tourist, but 20th Century Fox was trying to use it as leverage to say like, Okay, well, if you're going to be in holding for this film, you can't be up for any other because we don't, mm. we can't risk losing you. So her, she had like a sit down with her agent where she, Melanie Griffith, had to be like, "Do I want to go after Working Girl or Accidental Tourist?" And they discussed it, and they said, "Whoever does Accidental Tourist might win the Oscar, but whoever does Working Girl might become a star." And Melanie Griffith like went up to her room and like came back down ten minutes later. Was like, "Okay, I'm putting everything behind me to try to book Working mm. Girl." Mm. And gave up the chance to do it accidental tourist. So it very easily so could have wild. been, yeah. I mean, clearly not Vice the, versa. But not the well, same not, role, but, yeah. but Gina Davis might have been up for Gotten Catherine and Melanie Griffith could have done accidental tourist instead. But I think I've not seen accidental tourist, so I can't really speak to that. But I'm always fascinated by those, like just the teeny tiny, also, like switcheroos I, like I that. I don't think of Melanie Griffith and Gina Davis as no. being like similar types but no you know. I, her role from what i know of accidental tourists like Which william hurt and kathleen turner or like a married couple who i think like their son dies in an accident and then it's like years later he's like trying to like find the will to keep going and he meets quirky crazy gina davis as this like kooky love interest uh -huh. and is like helping him like I don't, I don't know. I'm assuming he then becomes a tourist. He goes to other countries, maybe, become, becomes a tourist. It's eat, pray, love for William Hurt. I think it is. Uh, and Gina Davis is supposed to be just, it's just that kind of showy, scene-stealing, small role mm -hmm. where it's like classic supporting actor material. We love to material. give that an Oscar. Exactly. Exactly. Um, which I get that. If it's like, oh, I could see Melanie Griffith is just like, I mean, it's kind of whatever. The predecessor of the manic pixie dream girl yeah. is how it kind of reads. Yeah. Of someone swooping in and being like, who is this captivating person um which is you either have in the supporting role or when it's the lead you have this and then that's what it is it becomes a star making turn mm -hmm. so those are all the characters that i found other casting options for so before we move on we're going to do a quick segment of passing chemistry so of the actors up for tess and Catherine, who would you most like to see pair together and let's say for this version i kind of like to do maybe let's we'll do this going forward let's assume all the other alternates were also cast so in this version of working girl it stars alec baldwin you got Whoopi goldberg as sin um so then it's just who's who do you like as for uh tess and Catherine, knowing they're also going to be like with alec baldwin as jack and whatnot gotcha so it's a real, real bizarro grab, a real grab bag version a real grab bag i personally would do lorraine brocco as tess and meryl streep as Catherine, um because then it's like you keep learning brocco is like i think she's the, the brunette which i think she is in goodfellas um, you're playing on like the Italian of Staten Island mm -hmm. and Kate Meryl Streep is like the super blonde, um, as this just like polar opposites, uh, I, I think would be great. And I think Lorraine Bracco and Alec Baldwin, yeah, Mer Meryl Streep and Alec Baldwin, they, they would do that, um, what is it, Nancy Myers movie, it's complicated, they got good chemistry together, uh, I could see that. All right, I'm gonna go for Catherine Gina Davis, cause- Love. A love. Yeah. And then I am gonna go for Tess Christina Ebersole. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Hey, you know what that choice is? Good. Pretty nice. Oh, oh, I didn't. It went right <laughs> over my head. I can't believe it. Uh, so, final thoughts on Working Girl. Anything we haven't touched on? Anything you want to mention? Anyone? Any other characters you want to give love to? We didn't really. We, you briefly mentioned Philip Bosco as Trask. And love. Some love. random. So many great, like, 
like Oliver Platt in that small role. Olympia oh, Dukakis yeah. has like oh, one, one scene, scene as the, like, the, thick the person, the woman trying to help Melanie Griffith get like yeah, another job, placement. Another job yeah. placement. David Duchovny is like no lines, is like a party guest. Didn't even notice him. I, neither did I until afterwards in the credits. was like, David Duchovny. David Duchovny is a good choice for the Alec Baldwin role a few years later, I think, you know, yeah. just a real horn dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, my one thought, and this is so a thing I would notice. So since I had seen the movie before, but this was the only the second time I'd seen it. When Tess enters the party scene, yeah. knowing that like we've just heard that Sigourney's maybe getting that Catherine's maybe getting engaged. So it's not a thing you even think about unless you've seen it before and you know these songs. But of all the jazz standards they could be playing, it's not even a recording. It's like clearly a pianist playing it non-vocal. And she's about to go meet Jack Trainer. It's the man that got away, which I mm. watching it, knowing who she was about to go meet and who he was to her boss. I was like, that is brilliant song choice. That is so well done that that's because it's a very recognizable song. So a lot yeah. of people would know it, but they wouldn't necessarily think it means anything until you realize like, no, Sigourney's going to lose this guy because she never really had him yeah. to, to this one. Mm. I just thought it was like really savvy and smart it's when they could like they thought it through. It is almost like that. And I appreciate people who yeah. almost think about things. I agree. I 100% agree. Uh, so Working Girl, of course, you know, won the Oscar for Best Song. It was nominated for a whole bunch, including Best Picture, Best Actress for Melanie Griffith, Best Supporting Actress for both Sigourney Weaver and Joan Cusack, and Best, I think, Best Director for Mike Nichols, a whole bunch. But then it won. <laughs> yes uh but like the film held in high regard less so the 1990 tv show adaptation of working girl that lasted for 12 episodes and starred a pre-fame sandra bullock oh but man, that oh, is man, also man. great test it's a casting. very different kind of test it but is it but it is appropriate for a tv show test i feel I guess so. I mean, once she came into her own, I mean, what it's made, made in like 1998, 98 Sandy Bullock. I think she's got the chops to do wor the working girl, uh, working girl movie. But I just thought that was great. I was, I, which I had heard of before and then totally forgot that that was a same, thing. Same. Which it's like, don't make TV show adaptations of Academy Award nominated, like big movies. But Jeff, don't you like money? <laughs> Well, apparently they didn't because they dumped a whole lot of money in the show and then oh, it see, only they, aired 12 episodes. They thought they were going to make money. Unless like, it was like a producer sitch and they knew like, oh, yeah, that's right. We'll do a TV version of Working Girl. Oh, we're going to pocket so much money on this, boys. I think they thought they were going to make money. They probably did. They probably did. Yeah. You know, because then there was also the, uh, yeah, the TV adaptation of uh, Grills in the Mist starring uh, Sandra Bullock it's as well that year. <laughs> it's a real <laughs> No, but on the other hand, adapting this to a musical is like exactly the yes. kind of thing that people, totally. that tourists want to see on Broadway, you know? I suppose. I wonder. I wonder if this is held. I mean, I guess Kinky Boots wasn't as like known Kinky of a Boots property. barely known. Um, yeah, but at least it still feels, because in terms of like imagining what Working Girl the musical would look like, I mean, I, you, of course, would have, like, the daughter's wedding, so you could have a whole dance scene and, like, you whatever that, but so much as, like, mergers and acquisitions does not you make You have a big scene thrilling. with secretaries. You have great sure, songs. Sure. Because the characters are all really fully developed. You have a great engagement scene. I think it's actually very easy to open it up into a film. I mean, okay. uh, into, from a film into a musical. It's kind of, it, because it's of a similar era of, like, Pretty Woman, which 
I had a ton of friends who worked on and I just think it didn't fully work as a show. And part of that is because the movie is so famous that people were very attached to certain lines happening. Mm. I think Working Girl is famous enough to get people to come because they liked the movie, but not but famous it's enough not to be as like, famous. why didn't why you say the, my favorite line? Exactly the movie. Which is why I think it actually is a good property to adapt. Interesting. And that it has name recognition, but yeah. not like this crazed devotion. You know what? That's a great point. That's a great point. Just thinking of like, yeah, the, the, the movie musical adaptations when it's stuff like whatever, uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Full Monty, stuff where it's like these are known properties, but they're not so they're not in the public conscious and so indelible. Like, I this is my favorite movie. I watched it a hundred times as a teenager. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, I agree. I fully agree with that. I don't know why. My mind was like, like as if they tried to in the mid '90s make Forrest Gump the musical. <laughs> But you know what? That I could so see how you could adapt Forrest Gump into a musical. It would musicalize. I I say well, and I don't mean well. And but... I cannot pay enough money to not see it. Yes, please, <laughs> never. Uh, uh, you for... know someone's working on that in a basement somewhere. You know he can run, but did you know he can <laughs> dance? <laughs> Life is like a box of chocolates. Oh, oh, you never no. know which one you're gonna get. <laughs> Run, Forrest, run. Forrest, run away. <laughs> you know, run, you gotta run, 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 run away. The sad ballad, Lieutenant Dan and the legs that ran away. Oh, no. Yeah. I was thinking yeah. some some tune about Bubba Gump. Oh, know? well, of course you'd have Bubba Gump. A whole number about Bubba Gump shrimp. They would be hawking that Bubba Gump shrimp paraphernalia in the lobby. Yeah, yeah. Don't even worry about it. Uh, so I want to end with this. As we said, at the end of the movie, Tess is introduced to the woman who was in the same position she was once in as a lowly secretary. However, unlike her own boss, Tess treats her with respect. And on set, Art imitated life. Amy Aquino, who played Alice Baxter, the secretary, said that her, her scenes were filmed like right near the end of production. And she felt very, she's very nervous. She's like, I'm coming in. This whole movie has been done. I'm coming in near the end for my one day of shooting. Yeah. So she's very nervous. And she got in, like, everyone is, like, such, you know, they're all, like, so, such camaraderie, such yeah. friendship. And she felt like the new kid on the block. And so Melanie Griffith approached her before their scene and told her, hey, how glad she was to be working with her and apologized. She's like, I'm so sorry. I totally meant to call you last night just before you got here just to, like, introduce myself uh, and to, like, get to know you and fully, like, make you feel more at ease before you got here. And she said it meant so much to her. And she just never forgot it. She never forget like of what how what generosity she felt from Melanie Griffith of coming up to like extend a hand. It doesn't take much. It doesn't you know? take much. Just be a human. You know what? Just be a little human. Be a human being. Because you know what that is. Pretty nice. Amy Cho. Yes, Jeffrey. What are you recommending this week? Well, about a year ago, um, there was a book that came out called Know My Name. Uh, the author's name is Chanel Miller. You might more commonly know her as uh, the defendant in the Brock Turner Stanford swimmer rape case. And um, she wrote a very powerful victim impact statement that went viral. And then a couple years later, when she was coming out saying like, hey, I've written this memoir, it's called Know My Name because now I'm I'm no longer going to be like a Jane Doe, basically. Right. And uh, so I pre-ordered it and I read it in like two days, maybe three days, which was way too fast to read it because it's very 
it's a hard read, um, but I couldn't put it down. Like I, I know what happens, you know, but right. like I, I was, I took a picture of the book after I was done reading it because it was covered in sweaty fingerprints. Ooh. It's incredible. Now it's very triggering. So please know that going into it. Um, I'm really recommending it to any of our cis male listeners um, because it's just, I mean, you just don't know what you don't know. You can't know what you don't know. And this is a great, great read. She's an incredible writer. Uh, and it's, it's a really actually quite heartening story. And like, she's, she's wonderful to follow on Instagram. She's also a cartoonist. And um, I really recommend it. Just, you know, be careful reading it and take care of yourself. But I, I can't say enough good things about it. It's very powerful. It's very brave what she did. And also then to write with such searing beauty and clarity it's like a beautiful read in addition to being i think a very important read that's great jeff amy joe what are you recommending this week i'm recommending the farewell the 2019 comedy drama written and directed by lulu wang and as the tagline says based on an actual lie it stars aquafina mm. as billy a new yorker who returns to china after her grandmother is diagnosed with terminal cancer but learns that her family has decided not to tell the grandmother she's dying and is staging an impromptu wedding between billy's cousin and his girlfriend of three months as a cover story in order for everyone to come home and say their farewells that makes it sound like a real bummer of a film, uh, but I promise it is so full of heart and humor. Uh, Aquafina and uh, Zhuzhen Zhao as the grandmother especially are so, so good. And it sounds like it could be real downer, but it's actually a very uplifting movie. And I, I thought it was really beautiful. And I was like, you know what? That's a great film. And I want to share it because more people should check it out. I think it's currently still on Prime. But regardless, if it's even if it's not, give it a rent. Check it out. The Farewell, uh, directed by Lulu Wang. And that's what we're recommending this week. Da, da, da. Do you have a movie that you'd love for us to break down the casting of? Email us at andalmoststarring at gmail.com and let us know. And you can also find us on Instagram at andalmoststarring. And also Facebook at andalmoststarring. And you can rate and review us. Gosh, we'd love it. <laughs> it would really help us out and also make us feel real good. If you want to let us know that you're finally doing the review based off of this episode, then please, just in your review, go... Pretty nice. Five stars. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. Thanks for joining us to see who almost starred. <laughs>